0: I decided back in March of 2020, when our city had closed down all of our businesses for the pandemic, that I had to do something to take up some of my time that I would have been working. And so I did two things. I started a TikTok and that was kind of like for fun and I did different dances with friends and my son and all by myself and then I started watching TikTok lives and pretty soon I had enough followers where I started going live myself and helping people to grow Then I decided later on that I wanted to do podcasts. And in doing podcasts, I wanted to help people in their life struggles. Because during that time, all of us all over the world were going through some major struggles. So that was the beginning of my podcast. And since then... I have covered topics with sex addicts, drug addicts, alcoholics, um, people that don't know where they're at in their life, how to get better self-esteem, self-help people, all kinds of different topics. Everything, though, that could help somebody along the way. So thank you for listening and for sharing. And if you don't know how to share our podcast, if you use Spotify, which is one of the most popular platforms, just go to Life Struggles. So type in Life Struggles. And if there's more than one you can put by Christy Collier and then once you click on that if you go to the very top of my introduction you can go to the three arrows and hit follow or there could be a button that just says follow and you can hit that so you're following me and then there's a little Bell, And you'll want to click on that bell so that you'll get notified every time we publish a podcast. And then once you start watching a podcast, you'll always want to go through and at the very bottom of it, it'll have a list and it'll say like add to your playlist. And if you keep scrolling, it'll go to share And you can share that either by um, Instagram or Snapchat or somebody personally to their message. And then also to Instagram, if you have an Instagram account. So we would appreciate you doing that for us. Give us a star rating too, hopefully a five star. But you can do that also at the top. So if you have any other questions, please feel free to email me at StrugglesAreHard.com. No, StrugglesAreHard at gmail.com. And that's part of Life Struggles. Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles. And today I have the honor of having Jennifer on here. She's going to be talking to us about her life with drug and alcohol addiction and what she is doing for that. So welcome, Jennifer.
1: Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for having me on. I've been excited to talk to you.
0: Oh, me too. I can't wait to hear this. So let's just start at the beginning.
1: Yes. So my name is Jennifer. I am a grateful and recovering addict and alcoholic. I always say I'm a walking, talking miracle. Um, I just, my just quick background. I'm 47 years old. Um, my, my drug and alcohol addiction actually didn't start till later in life, but I'm 47 originally from Chicago. Um, I had was married, um, kind of born and raised in the Chicago area. I have two brothers and, um, I have great parents, great family, very loving home no history of drugs or alcohol in my family whatsoever. I was the first, lucky for me, and I'm going to stop it where, stop it in its tracks. So I, um, yeah, so I, I grew up there and I uh, was interested in criminal justice when I was in my final year of um, high school. Okay. So I took government classes and I knew what I wanted to do was I wanted to be a police officer and get into law enforcement. So at a young age, um, I went in, I got my criminal justice degree at a local college there. And I was actually working as a 911 operator and loved that job. Very stressful, heard a lot of stressful things, um, but I loved it. And so I, um, at age 19, I started working there. My family actually wound up, my parents and my brothers moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. So I was there essentially by myself, but working and going to school. And um, I got married. I met my, um, I've been married twice. I met my first husband. Um, I was a dispatcher and he was a police officer. I met him on the job, so to speak. I was one of his dispatchers and I was 20 years old when I met him. He was, he was older. He was 30. And um, so we, how uh, old
0: were you at the time?
1: I was 20 when I met him. Okay. And we wanted to get him married. Older. Yeah, and we got married. Um I think it was 20 it was 22 when we got married. I was young, but anyway, so um and I loved that job and I actually was one of the youngest, one of the younger youngest 911 operations managers that they had. It was not the not Chicago proper, but it was suburbs of Chicago. It was um it was called Ducom DuPage community um DuPage communicate Oh gosh. Page Public Safety Communications. So it was a 911 center. That's it was originally located in a bomb shelter. Yes. But we were um we dispatched for our 28 police and fire departments at that time, um, police fire medic. And so Wasn't I managed that the- stressful. It it was very stressful, but I think like you start to get, you compartmentalize, you kind of develop a tougher skin, you dissociate yourself from certain things, and it's it just um it, you go sort of into auto uh autopilot I guess you could say but um, I was m- my we got engaged I was married so he was a police officer my first husband was a police officer so and, there was um, a
0: movie there was a movie and um Halle Berry pay, played okay it. it was called The Call she was a 911 operator I haven't seen it you have got to watch it so she, she was in that position of a 911 caller in I believe New York City okay Um, but to me New York and Chicago are kind of the same yeah Um, obviously New York is way bigger but as far as crime you know and uh, the a large amount of people and larger amount of crimes than obviously smaller cities but at any rate yeah you'll have to watch that so go ahead. Oh,
1: cool. I've got it. I've got, I've got my, my movie, movie event for the night. Then. Oh, you'll love it. Do you like <clears throat> Halle Berry? I do. I mean, who couldn't? She's I know, right? <laughs> Um,
0: You got to put it, you got to put it on your list to watch then.
1: Okay, cool. Okay. I will do. I need to give me the movies aren't, the, aren't what they used to be. So that'll be good to watch a good one. So anyway, so I was doing that and um, yeah, stressful, but I loved it. Um, I'm, I've been told my whole life, well, not my whole life, I was told that for my whole life, I've probably been ADHD and bipolar and all up and, you know, being, doing things fast. I have a very quick mind and I'm very, I think quick. Um, I can, some people probably might think I'm distracted. I'm actually, it's just because I'm usually three steps ahead of where they are anyway. I I process information very quickly and can move on to the next. So most people are too slow. Some people say you're too fast. I say you're too slow, but. um,
0: What's the name of the movie I just told you? The Call by Halle Berry.
1: <laughs> Very good. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. So anyway, um, but I loved, I loved it. Um, I was really, I was really good at it. And, um, it, but I got married young and my first husband really, he, one of his main goals, he said he really never needed to get married necessarily, but he really wanted to have like biological children or have children, okay. you know, his, his own children. Um, so you know, he probably figured, oh, if you're married, get... married
0: or not. He just wanted some kids.
1: Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, I guess the jury's probably still out. But um he, you know, he said that was, that was really important to him. And I knew that. And he probably, he probably figured, oh, i marry me a young one. Make sure she can have some kids, you know? So, well, we tried to, we started right away trying to have kids. I was 23 years old. They told me my eggs were no good. We tried in vitro. We tried multiple things. So there was was just...
0: they were saying that it was on your end? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's been... Um, but it, it was different things like endometriosis and, but who knows, you know, right. I mean, only God knows. Right. So it just, it was very hard on the marriage. So there was some breakdown of the marriage and, um, wasn't, it wasn't a a bad marriage necessarily. it just, it was very taxing on both of us. And I went through a real severe depression. And so I was getting into my mid to late twenties, um, kind of in the interim between the, uh, we were married for six years, so between the early part of the marriage and when we finally got divorced, I, nine eleven happened. I was uh, still in the nine one one center, and it things things got even more stressful. Obviously, in that line of work, you know, people used to say how's how's business, and I say business is good. You know, never shortage of emergencies, but in that line of work, you know people don't call you when they're having a good day. They're only calling you when right. the day, something's going horribly wrong. So you really Can do. Can you
0: imagine if you had been in New York when that night, when that you happened? Know, and you.
1: I mean, I was, wor- I was, I mean, I was working, well, obviously that they, they, they scrambled um, the day of 9-11. I remember they, they scrambled, they thought that they were gonna, the terrorists were gonna hit this year's tower. So they scrambled jets over Chicago and there was a sonic boom. And, and the were whole
0: where you were, were you working?
1: Chicago metropolitan area thought that we had been hit by a terror. I think those 911 calls rang for probably two, two days straight about that. It was just wow. And what a time. But um I was still trying to get pregnant. People were like, oh, just relax, it's the stress, whatever. So I had wound up meeting this girl that was selling Mary Kay cosmetics. And I had always loved the product. So, you know, I, she said, you should do it on the side to make some extra money. Well, quickly, I was making almost as much money doing it part-time. This was just within, even in the first couple of weeks, I was making money doing it part-time selling. And then I started to recruit, I wound up becoming a sales director within four months of starting, like from wow. starting to it was four months. I had mm-hmm. developed my own sales team of 30 people, 30 women, and I loved it, and I was like, "Well, I got to win a pink Cadillac." And I was 24 years old, I think, at the time, 25.
0: What's with the pink Cadillac? Are you into to pink? You like the color pink? No,
1: Mary Kay. That's, that was oh, Mary Kay. Mary
0: Kay's. Pink. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's one on her top, her top director. She she offers a pink Cadillac. It's actually a lease. It's like a company lease. They every two years you can get a new one, but you have to keep producing. You have to have a certain amount of volume. But I was like, well, how, you know, how do I get the pink Cadillac? They're like, you know, Jennifer, most women are in this for like 15 years before they get the Cadillac. I was like, well, what? I was like, well, what do I need to do? What, <laughs> them. what do I need to do? And they said, well, you've got to produce X amount in this amount of time. So I put a picture of pink Cadillac everywhere. And within, it was one year to the day, almost to the day of when I had started and got my little hundred dollar starter kit with Mary Kay. I was on stage picking up my pink Cadillac keys. Wow. Mary Kay had just died that year. Mary Kay Asha just died. Cause normally you would go to Dallas and meet her and everything. Well, she died about a week before she died on Thanksgiving day. Mm. Um, I guess it would have been 2000, uh, it's a gosh, 2000. Yeah. 2001, she died on Thanksgiving day. So, and I went to Dallas about about a month later. So anyway, I, um, but I did that and I love it. I still love it. I, 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 my life transition from there. I'm not, I'm not a full-time Mary Kay anymore, but I won my pink Cadillac and I know I was married and still trying to get pregnant and trying like to, when
0: you want, do you get to keep it? It's a, it's a,
1: like a company lease. So every two years you would qualify for a new one. You, so every two years you would turn it in, but they put a little gold plaque on things as this Cadillac made exclusively for Jennifer, you know, really, I loved it. It's And, the, then the you, got to dr-
0: and you drove it the whole time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they pay for the insurance and a good portion of the insurance and everything. So but you don't have that anymore. No. So I, well, so while I was doing, you know, doing that, I was still trying to get pregnant and going through this miscarriages and in vitro and the marriage started to break down. And I just finally, you know, one day he just finally said that he wanted a divorce. And uh, so I, we got divorced back in, Chicago, in Illinois. Well, you might know this, but il- in Illinois, you know, you can get divorced very quickly. It was only a couple months from the time he wanted to You divorce. used
0: to be able to. They oh, changed they change? that law and you have to be legally separated for nine months.
1: Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, well, that was, so at and that time. You
0: get, yeah. Anything you could give. You, yeah.
1: Yeah. And especially so, if it
0: was no contest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was an amicable divorce, but um, I, you know, we, we were divorced. And then about, I think it was four or five months into that, he called me one day cause we stayed, I'm, I'm not gonna say friends, but amicable. I mean, I was still associated with a lot of the police and law enforcement things that, you know, and friends at the dispatch center. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was, a, I don't, I'm not the type of person that has bad, like really like toxic relationships and breakups. I, I tend to be, I tend to be the black sheep. I tend to be the one that like, you know, I mean, I usually date really, I, usually choose pretty good, you know really good people and he was a good person but just he there's a variety of reasons but I I know that him, children were really important to him but he called me about four to five months after the divorce and said I just wanted to tell you so, so you didn't hear from somebody else but I've met somebody and she's pregnant
0: so it wasn't during the marriage still
1: no not that I'm aware of I don't and he's not he he wasn't known to be that type of a person I and I, I firmly firmly believe that it probably wasn't but I think he just was what well, I'm not a, I really can't I don't know I can't say but he said I just wanted to let you know or actually I think he said um I don't know if he said we're engaged it was whatever it was we're engaged but it was and the shortly shortly there was another phone call saying we're pregnant and um you know we weren't trying something to that effect but I just remember that day I hung up the phone and just crumpled on the floor and thought like I just I just felt so defective
0: you know was it because you felt like a failure
1: yeah, I just didn't feel, I felt like I was missing some sort of a, of a, of the, of the part of a woman gene, you know, I felt like I, God didn't give me that motherhood gene or something. I just felt like, who's going to want me now, how do I explain when you go on a date and say, well, you know, I probably can't have kids, you know, cause I was still at a, an age where you would, people would get married and talk about kids. And it was only in my mid, mid, well, getting in my mid to late twenties. I I just didn't know what to do. And I was still in Chicago at the time. <clears throat> I had bought my own place, my very first house by myself. And, um, but I just remember I was like, I just remember I just crumpled on the floor and then I wound up going to the doctor. They told me I was bipolar and um, different things. I started on some medicine, but um, I took a trip to Vegas with um, a friend of mine. And uh, I'd always liked slot machines. So I went to go gamble. And um, I met some people there that um, introduced me to drugs for the first time. Like I had tried pot when I was, in my teens and drank a little bit but it just never none of it interested me but when I went to Vegas and tried these stimulants for the first time ecstasy and cocaine it was like complete euphoria and that the whole next year from that point
0: oh wait a minute um you you, how old were you then
1: 20 uh let's see what's a 22 I think by that time I was about 27 or 28 27 or 28 no I'm sorry it was no I'm sorry no because it was right at the time of the I was like 29 28 29 years old
0: so but you drank before then but you didn't have a drinking problem
1: yeah I drink a little bit we would drink a little bit after work some of the the dispatchers but it wasn't okay. there was never any major issue
0: okay okay go ahead
1: yeah. And of course, you know, being working in that field, being married to a police officer and then also working at a dispatch center, you know, you can be drug tested at any time. And it just wasn't really part of my I didn't really know, you know, everybody I knew was 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 fighting crime, not you know, not right. not creating crime. <laughs> so so, um,
0: so you're in Las Vegas now. You know, yeah, and right I met some in story. Yeah, I met and, some
1: met some people and got introduced to some harder drugs and just
0: like, for the first why time you why, why were you even interested in being introduced to him?
1: Well, I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about it. It's just sort of, um, it was presented to me. I well, the, I was drinking in Vegas, so my, I'm sure my inhibitions were let down and these gentlemen that I met were extremely handsome. <laughs> uh, yes. And, um, you know, it was, I don't know. I don't know. It just sort of, it just kind of happened. was it like a,
0: sure, I'll try it thing? Yeah, pretty much. So well, at the time, it wasn't to cover any kind of emotional or physical pain that you're in.
1: At the time, I think it was, yeah, at the time I was already feeling good, you know what I mean? Um, but it was just, it heightened my, my you know, feeling good that much more. And it just, um, and then I wound up staying, because they had yeah, just the people that I had met were actually also from Chicago. So when we went back to Chicago, I stayed in contact with them. And it was, um, you know, not bad people or anything like that, but um, just but it was like okay now we're going to have some fun we're going to you know and i just wound up partying nonstop for about a year just really hardcore cuz i you know i didn't
0: i didn't but really you didn't have... feel like you were trying to cover up anything oh yeah, well i'm sure
1: i I'm sure I was. I'm sure initially it was probably just for fun, but then when I got home and it was more on a daily basis because I was really lonely because I didn't, I wasn't associated with the 911 center really anymore or that life. And then he was getting married and they were having a baby and my family had moved to Charlotte. So I didn't have family there. So I was kind of just, I had a lot of time on my hands because I was still a married Gay at the time. And so I didn't go to a regular job and I just was, I did a lot of things on my own work from home and just, lo- just lonely, and then just, yeah, I just didn't know what to do with myself because I felt like, you know, how do I date, and guys that, you know, a lot of them might want to have kids, and I, I was stuck in this purgatory of I didn't know how to explain myself, so I
0: just partied. So before you go on with your story, just, um, I'm, I'm going to jump way ahead to today. Yes. If if today you were in that same situation where you were thinking, you know, I, what if, how do I, how do I date when somebody's going to want kids and I can't have any, and mm-hmm. what, what would your mindset still be the same?
1: Um, well, I mean, n- now, of course I do have, well, I do have kids cause I want to get, no, I again. know you like, do. I don't want to like, ruin that like part of the story. Um, today. today, um, with the children thing, um, you know, I don't even know how to answer that because like, you know, they say you can't outgive God, you know, God, uh, if you want to, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Cause like, I really thought that that was just God's plan for me to not have children. And so, but now clearly, so but I don't so really- what I'm
0: what I'm listening to though, is that you felt like, you know, if you met a guy and he, you know, he, he's going to want kids and you're not going to be able to do that. But did you ever go beyond that box and go, okay, well, first of all, if somebody really loves you, they really love you. Um, number one, even if they wanted kids, it might not matter or not because they're marrying you for you. But number two, if kids were really important. You could still, you still have many other options, you know?
1: Well, yeah. I might in my, so yeah, my personal, would you
0: still think that way today?
1: I didn't. Um, I don't know because when I wound up meeting my second husband, he, you know, broke the mold and, and was, was broke the mold and was, you know, was that person that said, I love you no matter what. And I will, you know, I love you for you. And there are other options. So
0: no, I knew the my- one that said there are other options or had yeah. you already known that?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, he, I mean, he changed my, changed my, changed the direction of my life, obviously, <laughs> but you know, um, in, in a lot of ways, but
0: Okay. So even though we are talking about addiction and drugs, there's also this not being able to have children, which seems to have been a major thing in your life. Right. Okay. Um, So let's try to give a little bit of information out there to women that'll be listening to this, that may be one of those women that couldn't have children and didn't know what else they could do. Right. So can you kind of kind of brush a little bit on on the procedure of that
1: yeah about trying to have kids again I mean trying to have kids excuse me or yeah well first of
0: all that it's not the end of the world if you can't
1: yes well I'm yes I'm I'm my life is full of many miracles so tell me that God doesn't exist and I will show you differently right (laughs) but um so yeah. So I, so I sort of just accepted, I mean, I I'll be honest with you in my later, that was like my prime of my life. I looked really good. Like I was, I had my, you know, when I moved to Charlotte, so I wanted moving to Charlotte to get away from some, of, I went through this massive addiction. Right. So I said, I'm going to move to Charlotte to be where my family is. And like, I got away from the drugs for a while and I got into real estate and I was doing, was really successful at that, bought my own house. So now I'm going to
0: interrupt you again. Yeah. When you left Chicago, did you do the recovery by yourself? You didn't go into any, kind I didn't of- go into any recovery. I literally ran <laughs> for my life and you did okay. Getting off of them without help.
1: Um, I didn't go through any, I wasn't on any type of drugs that would cause a physical withdrawal. It was really more mental. Cause it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't opiates, which, which came later, but it was, yeah, it was more of an environment thing for me at that time. Okay. Once I got away from the environment and I was, you know, with my family and stuff, I, I still drank a little bit, but I was, I just felt I was in a safer environment.
0: So, so would you even I, qualify as an alcoholic?
1: I don't typically. I would never. Prior to going through everything, the the most recent years, I never really would ever say like I'm an alcoholic, but. Um, more, I, mean, I, I went through ad- a period where I did drink quite a bit though. Um, but I would never say, yeah, maybe borderline. I was, I was functioning. It was never, alcohol never was anything that would cause me to, um, you know, m- miss work or whatever. You know, there would be some hard party nights, but it probably... but it wasn't
0: like you would like go on to a binge and not go to work and not with alcohol. Uh, right. So yep. really, yeah, you had more of a drug addiction than an alcohol The, the addiction.
1: drug addiction was what really caused it to come to the surface like my 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 overall just addiction my overall you know susceptibility to to um, doing things in excess came more with when, when drugs, when stimulants
0: were introduced in my life. Okay. So let's, let's go on across the country. We'll yes. Okay. Back to there.
1: So, so I left, I just left there. I had to get away just because I was, I found myself whenever I would do any kind of stimulant, I would start gambling. I had a mat, like it a massive gambling addiction because I lived right near a casino, um, a riverboat casino. And I would go there, I would go there because it was a place where you could go alone. Nobody knew you were alone because everybody kind of did their thing. You go to a Mm -hmm. slot machine and sometimes I would be up late at night and it was open 24 hours. So I would go there and I would win sometimes really big and then I would lose really big. But, you know, it was just that high and low thing. But it was between the gambling addiction and then just wanting to do all the stimulants all the time. I just was like, I've got to leave Chicago.
0: So, you know, I'm going to break in there and just a little bit about me there. Um so you, I've already talked to you a little bit before the interview and told you that I come from a addicting a family and it's in the genes. Yeah. And you've already told everybody that yours wasn't in the genes. Um a lot of our family did go to do gambling, but as far as we know, only one person ever had a gambling addiction. When I think back, there was like all the women love to go to bingo like yeah like two or three times a week like and they were adamant about it and they were like the ones that would get upset if they you know I mean it kind of seemed like an addiction then um I only went a couple times with my aunts and I didn't even have fun around them they were so you know with with that so competitive and but I went to a, you know, now everywhere you go, there's gambling places. Yeah. You know, because it's legal everywhere. You you know, there's those small ones. They're Mm -hmm. all like a slot machine, just a slot machine place. Um, Just a couple months ago for my first time and in this area. And uh, I actually went looking for an employee of my husband's because um, he had disappeared after being paid. Oh, And I talked to his wife and she said, I haven't seen him since he got paid, but I've heard from friends that he's been going to these different slot machine places in the area. Yeah. So I, I decided to take the day off and I was just going to stop in and start visiting some of those that she had named and see if I could run into him. And so the second one I went into, I just sat down. I knew nothing about machines, how to work them or anything. Didn't know what I was doing. Um, but, I, you know, and I don't know if they're, they're probably way different than what your casino was like, you know, because it's just a little place. But they they actually did have a small grill and you could like order stuff. Yeah. They also had free like um, water and soda or whatever and then like little snacks but i when i went to sit down like i didn't have a clue on what i was what to do or how to do it or anything and this nice lady came over and like told me gave me a couple of little hints on how to win didn't even know that existed like you could i figured it was all just a setup you know or, or luck or whatever but anyway i ended up that day I was, I was only there an hour and I won $470 and this guy, this guy walked in, the employee walked in and he, he didn't see me, wouldn't expect to see me. He sat down though, right next to me. And I had decided that I was done because I had that feeling of, Ooh, this is fun. And I'm winning money. This feels good. Yeah. (laughs) And that scared me, but see, that's yeah. what kept me from becoming an addict all this time is I've been, you have
1: the moderation gene. <laughs> yes.
0: And so I did go, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm just going to cash out and I'm not going back ever because I did like it. That's so not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, and it seems like it's so not fair yeah no I was uh, for me it's not not fair because it's an automatic gene and all of us Mm. have it and it's like everything that other people are doing normal we can't do or we're going to be addicted but anyway so I can see that pull with that gambling Uh but yet yours isn't from a gene I Yeah,
1: I wish I could, I don't know exactly. Like I said, I think it was just, um I, but like I said, I, most of this stuff really didn't start until, like I said, after that first divorce and it probably might've been latent there may have to be some things in my personality that I just tend to be, I tend to be very high and low, you know, very kind of, my mom always said that I was like her high intensity child, like I was on high idle all the time, but you know, there was periods of highs and lows and stuff. So, I mean, it could, it could be that. I mean, again, like I said, they told me I was bipolar, which you know, we will not necessarily get into, I guess today, but the keto diet helps me with my, with managing cravings for drugs and alcohol and bipolar because of um, it feeds the brain on ketones, which, so I don't, I don't suffer from, well, I mean, I'm still working a 12 step program, but the, the drugs, alcohol and the bipolar, like with my diet, changing to the keto diet has completely transformed my life. I don't go through any kinds of highs and uh, highs as far as good energy, but I don't go through manic depression anymore.
0: And I'm going to have to talk to you about that later because I'm really, um, starting to get into the keto and so miraculous, I know. So anyway, so go on. So So, you went through not doing any kind of drugs or anything and you're now in South Carolina. Um, so
1: Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina, right on the border. Right. So, um, but I, we were talking just briefly about like, yeah. And I want to offer hope to those that are going through the, with the, Infertility or not right. being able to- k- have kids Good or not um because I'm telling you that that is that is a huge part of what I think fractured my psyche that caused me to right. succumb to some of this stuff so right. and um and i don 't really know the answer to the question of how I would deal with it today, but I can tell you so my brain, I just accepted the fact that it probably wasn't going to happen. And so I kind of partied and, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why I got into a little bit more party mode. I thought, well, I can't have kids or whatever. I'm probably going to get married again. So I'm just going to party.
0: Oh, but we were going to, we were going to explain to women like, like how it works in your options before we went on? Yes.
1: So, well, so when I, um I tried multiple different things. They basically had told me when I was 23, when they, we were going to try in vitro because they said, this is really odd. She's really young. You know, everything. Was, I did have endometriosis. So it wasn't major. I had to have some laser surgery for that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they they said it wasn't really anything that was affecting, probably wouldn't majorly affect my fertility, but um they, what they did was when we went to do in vitro um, we did it a couple of times. Um, they looked at my eggs. And again, I was in my mid twenties and they said, your eggs are really dark. It doesn't look like they're really viable. They look like the eggs of a 45 year old woman. And I was only 25. So they said, you're probably not going to be able to have, you know, you, for the, the, you know, your egg, you know, what, what do you call it? You, you know, you, you might have to have a surrogate or not a surrogate with somebody else or, or like, you know, a surrogate. I'm like anyway I think there was a little too more than my, what my husband at the time could handle and and was really damaging to me but um so I just accepted it um, but I w- well w- when I wound up getting married which we hadn't got to yet but I got married the second time um there were so there's there's multiple options as far as um, so you can do obviously do in vitro the the in vitro methods are better now they have a lot um, they can get a lot more you know, using controlled drugs and um, controlled fertility drugs, and the the quality, and um, basically, so in vitro is where they would take the egg your eggs out and then fertilize, um, take the sperm from the man, and they it's, it's it used to be called a test tube baby, but they're fertilizing them in a dish and they're watching them outside the body for three to five days. Five days is like optimal. Three days is an embryo. Five days is what's called a blastocyst. Okay. And if you can get to five days and the if the if the cells are growing and dividing, then that's a good sign. But um, my eggs, every time they took them out, they wouldn't fertilize or they wouldn't last outside the body <clears throat> until and then you know it was fifteen 15- or more 15 years later is when I wound up going through in vitro again with my second husband, which like I said, we can get to that, but, mm-hmm. um, and t- technology improved a lot. So in vitro is one option. Um, they also, there's another thing you can do. It's a donor egg. So like for somebody that has, um, where, you know, if you don't have eggs or, um, or maybe women who've gone through cancer or they don't produce eggs anymore, there's a variety of different reasons why you you might not be able to use your own eggs. Cause you can use donor sperm. You can use donor egg. You can use donor you can even get donor embryos and those are where people have frozen their embryos, but they've already had the children and they've frozen these potentially thinking they would need them. Um, but they don't need them, but they, you know, they, they're, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, not right to life. Um, pro-life and they don't Mm -hmm. believe in destroying any kind of, you know, of of a human being essentially. Um, so there's operation snowflake. And I think it's still in, in existence. I hadn't researched it, but operation snowflake is where you can get embryos, frozen embryos donated, you know, it's, it's anonymous. You wouldn't necessarily know, I believe, you know, who the, who they are, but operation snowflake. So that's Mm -hmm. where, like, if you're, or if they're older, you know, maybe you're older and maybe he doesn't have, you know, the sperm, you know, it doesn't have sperm or whatever the case may be, but Operation Snowflake, but also the donor egg program. And um, so that, you know, that, that can work for people as well. But then there's also sometimes just miracles from, from above. And that's, I was sort of the beneficiary of that. Um, I was a beneficiary of the in vitro program, which, you know, like I said, we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about when we get to the, to the.
0: I'm looking up Operation Snowflake.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's still in existence but it was. Well,
0: it's 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 saying something different what it is <laughs> what you're saying.
1: Maybe it's called something different now, but there's it's it's basically it would be embryo donation or embryo adoption. Embryo adoption is probably what people would they would adopt an embryo. Okay. So maybe they've changed the name of it, but
0: I sure hope so because this is actually for military okay, (laughs) and their family struggling financially, okay, maybe it's not called
1: Operation Snowflake, but there was something with, it used to be called Snowflake, because of the fact that the embryos were frozen, it had something to do with Snowflake, but yeah, that would
0: make sense,
1: Yeah, but embryo adoption would be something if somebody wanted to look up. Um, There's a great website for anybody of your viewers. if They might be watching that have any kind of fertility problems. The website I used to live and breathe was Fertile Thoughts. They have all kinds of blog posts. I'm telling you, that that thing saved my life when I thought I was losing my mind when I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. But Fertile Thoughts, if it's still in existence, I believe it is. But that's where I got all my information.
0: Okay, and then something I just want to say is, and this is because I... Been, I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but a casa worker for many years. Okay, um, and that is working um, with children that are are um, living in like children's homes or are mm-hmm. in um, homes with. What's word I want to use? Uh, so you're not adopting foster foster homes. Yeah. And a CASA worker actually is a court appointed for, for a certain child. And they go in and they check to make sure that the funds are being used, that okay. are, and that they're happy in the home, um, that they're keeping up with their grades, that they're following the program, all that kind of stuff. Um, you're you're kind of like their, and you check in with them, but you're their advocate. So okay. if they're unhappy in a place or things are going on, you go to court for them mm-hmm. um, with the information, obviously, and try to get them into a different place. And, and what I want to say is, so I've, I did that for quite a few years. I had four children that I did. And the adoption, there's so many kids out there for adoption too. And I I want people to remember that, too, because because of the intro, um, what what were you calling it intro veto? Oh, in vitro. Yes, in vitro. There's less kids being adopted. Yeah. And so they're out there.
1: Yeah. They're out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I, I want people to remember that that's always an option, too. Of course, you know, and yeah. that there's, there are kids out there that would love to be in somebody's family.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, and infertility is so hard. I, like I said, that fertile thoughts website, no matter what you're going through, as far as fertility um, or infertility, or there's all different kinds of things. That was a tremendous help to me emotionally. But, um, you know, there is also this phenomenon about, well, like I said, well, um,
0: yeah. So but sometimes
1: once you get that maternal gene in you, something changes in your body. And that's always, there's always some hope for that too, but we're kind of not there. There yeah. yet, but
0: okay. So so now we're so now we're there in Charlotte. And did you meet somebody? So I
1: so I was you know pretty much staying away from the was staying away from the hard drugs, drinking a little bit, but I wound up. Um, I wound up, uh, releasing my, my sales team for the, so with the Mary Kay, um, so you still stayed with
0: Mary Kay or no, I,
1: I, w- I, yes, I was still doing it, but I, because of where I was emotionally, it's, it was very hard for me to be up and motivating others when I was like ready to like, I was just like in bed every day crying. So my sales team went back to my senior director. I still actually, I'm actually still in the company. I don't drive a pink Cadillac anymore, but the company is absolutely amazing. It changed my life. Mary Kay Ash was an amazing woman, but and her lucky number is 13 and so is mine. So we have that, but, oh, um,
0: my sons.
1: yeah, yeah, it's, uh, well, that's a whole nother thing about 13. I'll tell you about another day, but, um, so yeah, so I started in real estate and I was working for, um, I started working for a home builder. I started working for KB home, but I've worked for M I Lenar, David weekly, Ryan, you name it. Um, but I was working for KB home and I was doing really well there. And, um, but again, I was just living the single life. And no, it was my, it was my prime days. I looked pretty good back then. I was, you know, oh like said, well, I mean, I was, you know, I was just, I had my own house and my own little dog. I kept my own lawn. I was just very self-sufficient. I lived in Lake Norman, uh, uh, which is North of Charlotte, just like I had a really a great life. I mean, I partied a little bit as far as I drinking, but one day I went into work, but I wasn't, there was really no, I didn't really, it was just never really found anybody that interested me, but one day I went into the break room. I was at, we had a sales meeting at this, at the home builder. And um, I walked in the kitchen and I look and I was like, this, this tall drink of water standing there. And i was like six foot two. Like it doesn't, Fred Pitt doesn't even do him justice. Like he's, this man is just beautiful. Still, even to this day, I look at him and I was like,
0: the GQ guy
1: good. Lord. I was like, yeah. I was like, yes, the G, this is the G <laughs> and the GQ doesn't do it. I was like, yeah. Lord, what I, I sort of backed out of the kitchen. I was like, hi, are, oh, are you new? And I walk out, I turn the corner and I look at this, this, our operate, one of our customer service operations managers, his name was Tony. I go, Tony. I'm like, who is that? He's like, oh, that's, you know, he's that's so-and-so he's, I'm like, I won't get any names because that's how he's from. He just moved here from Michigan. And I was like, I was like, I look at him and I go, and I'll never forget it. Just, and I don't know. This wasn't something I said often, but I just looked at him and I said, I go, I'm going to marry him. <laughs> and Tony goes, you know what? I believe that probably will happen. And so mm-hmm. we wound up dating. And I said, I said, I, I said to the, one of the girls, I go, I go, I can't go snatch him up. Make sure he asked me out before. So I go, somebody can, somebody going to beat me to the punch. you
0: know." <laughs> and so, so, you, so did you go start a conversation with him? So
1: I talked to him briefly in the kitchen, and that's when I was like, I was like, Phyllis, I'm like, I well, go, I gotta, I go, I gotta do something. I go, somebody to snatch him up. And she's like, I know, I she goes, he came to talk at the sales meeting, and I looked up and and goes, she goes, I said to myself, he doesn't even look real because he's just
0: one of those people. <laughs> just
1: he's just like I don't know, God broke the mold, right? So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and inside is just as good as the outside to me, you know, and wonderful man so anyway we wound up dating and um you know I still knew in my mind I had these like these character defects or whatever you want to call them like these demons and he was such a good guy I was like I cannot put him through what I will probably have to put him through first of all the children thing which we discussed and mm-hmm. I actually like what broke up with him was like trying to just because I didn't I did not want to put him through what I know he might have to go through with either fertility or potentially me having some struggles with the drugs but he insisted and he, you know, we won't, he persisted. And we want, I remember saying, I was like, I'm like, you don't I know you don't want to marry me. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a mess or something to that effect. And, uh, and he said, he said, well, you know, he said, well, I have big shoulders. And well, he was a linebacker, Michigan State linebacker. So he did have big shoulders. Was,
0: Literally, he had like a Greek numbers. God. But anyway,
1: but I remember him saying, I love you no matter what. And I want to be with you. And whatever you're going through, I have big shoulders. That's nice. So we we got married on uh, 10, 10, 10. It was literally the most perfect day ever in Lake Lure. And it was, um, I remember waking up that morning and I looked and it was said it was going to be exactly 80 degrees. And it was, I never really had ever seen the weather channel say 0% chance of rain. I'm sure it had has before. (laughs) But it said zero. It was a fairy tale. Yeah, we did. But anyway, so. How long
0: was that after you guys met that you got married? um so we met in um
1: it was right about two years so we years. we dated for a year were engaged for a year and then got married
0: so he and, got to um, see pretty much all of you right what's that he got to see pretty much all of who you were
1: he saw yeah he saw a little bit of uh, kind of a small glimpses of the drug of the drug thing um uh but not not enough not it wasn't full-blown really at that time it was just okay. i you know i went through little bouts but um but for the most part, I, I stayed away from it for a good portion of the time. But um, we, when we got married, I thought, well, let's go ahead and let's go to the doctor, the in vitro doctor, see if they can help. And mm-hmm. um, is
0: he the one that brought up the in vitro then? Like that? Was uh, no, we. He he wasn't insistent upon
1: it, but I knew I had researched. I knew that the methods had gotten better, and so I had recommended. I said, well, let's. Um, I was thirty. Um, let's see. I think it was. Oh gosh, I was thirty five. Uh, 35, 36, can't remember now, <laughs> 30, when we, yeah, about 36, right, so I said, well, well, we'll probably, let's check into it now before it gets, you know, like, later, so mm-hmm. we, um, yeah, I was 35, so he, we went, and we started the process right away, you know, right after we got married, and, you um, know, we had um, a couple failed attempts, and, you know, want to put quite a bit of money into it, but, um,
0: hold on, we, go ahead, sorry, what? but just uh, for another fact for that, um, insurance doesn't cover that,
1: right? Not in North Carolina. So, in when I was in Illinois, and my first husband, we did in vitro. It covered up to four attempts, I think, of in vitro because it was it can be about twenty thousand dollars a time, depending, right? So, the in Illinois, we had insurance that covered that. In North Carolina, is that
0: special insurance or just? Whatever. No, it was
1: regular. It was both state law at the time. And I don't know what it is now there, but it, in at the time, which would have been, you know, late 90s, early 2000s in Illinois, it was covered by insurance. It was, uh, my understanding was the state law.
0: Okay. So then but we also, that's not everywhere though.
1: No, it's state by state is my understanding. Yeah. Um, North yeah. Carolina, that was not the case. So they covered certain things. There were some diagnostic things they covered, but typically they would not cover anything that involved trying to intervene with the actual like process of, of fertilization and pregnancy.
0: So, what kind of expenses are you talking?
1: So, um, I would say it was probably on average per cycle, right? Per per attempt of this in vitro, because they've got to take they. It involves some minor surgery, taking you know the eggs out. Get a, the fertility drugs are extremely expensive. That I think say about twenty thousand is about at the time what it cost us for like a cycle, right? A, to attempt, I think about eight thousand dollars of that alone was the fertility drugs.
0: Okay.
1: Um, what they do is they stimulate, they m- like would stimulate my ovaries to ha- produce multiple eggs because they can't just take one egg out. Cause the chances of that one egg, cause you every month you obviously you're going to produce at least usually one egg, maybe two in the case of, or maybe three, depending on, um, that mature, right. Mm-hmm. What they do is they recruit a whole bunch of eggs to mature all together. At the same time, they take them out of the woman's body. And at every stage, they're going to lose some eggs, right? Or they're going to lose these follicles, right? So you're going to have some follicles where there's no egg inside at all. Follicle <laughs> is what holds the egg. And so then by the time you're done, that's why they have to give you massive fertility drugs to do this. But then they take them out and they look at them in a dish. They kind of separate out the ones that are no good. And then they take, they introduce the sperm and they see how many can fertilize in a dish. It, well, it so happened that we had 13. <laughs> that's my lucky number, 13. We wow. had 13, 13, 13 embryos. Okay which I know that gets into a whole nother thing because we did wind up having to donate them. Okay. Um, so that's where us, again, I don't know the name of it, but we, because we wound up being successful. And, you know, we, unfortunately, you know, once everything happened, we, we didn't, but, but they were donated, but anyway, so, but the, we, well, the first time we did it, actually, we didn't get uh, pregnant, even though the embryos looked perfect. But then the second time, the first time they only put one in, they said, they look so good. We think, and they didn't know that my body could handle twins. They thought it might be kind of hard because I'm very small. I'm like five, four, like 115 pounds. Um, So they, anyway, then when it didn't work, they said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do two. We're going to put, we're going to transfer two embryos into you. And I remember thinking, and so then it was like, it just, I,
0: so is that the only way that when you go that route that you would have twins or triplets because of unless the unless the eggs they put in?
1: Yeah. So if you just if you do, there's something called intrauterine and insemin, 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 insemination, which is where if somebody this is where you're going to find like the octomoms and the multiples, right? Most okay. of the time is where they would they recruit a whole they you produce a whole bunch of eggs, but instead of taking them out of your body and, and controlling it, what they're, what's being fertilized and what's coming back into your body, Mm -hmm. you just have all these eggs. And then they either you have regular sex or most of the time they'll, they do what's called intrauterine insemination, which is where they actually isolate the sperm and they insert it. But then the fertilization is up to whatever happens in the body. So there's, if you have all these eggs and all these sperm, you don't know what you're going to wind up with. Right. Whereas in vitro is controlled. So that's why it's a little bit safer, more expensive, but safer, but that, so if, if they transfer, let's say they transfer one embryo and you get pregnant with twins or triplets, that's because that one embryo more than likely that's because that separated into twins or triplets. Okay. But typically when you're going to have multiples with in vitro, but again, in vitro is much more controlled. In fact, most places ethically, there's a, only a certain amount they'll allow to do. Like they can't, I don't, I don't think there's any states that would allow them to transfer like eight, you know, anything like that. that's usually two or three, depending on if the woman has really fragmented eggs, they may do more just to have a higher chance. But so they said, we're going to transfer two embryos to tr- potentially, hopefully one will stick at least. Right. So I wound up getting pregnant. I couldn't believe it. The tests were positive, but you have to wait. It was about six weeks. Actually, it was six weeks. Believe it or not, six weeks. They said, we'll send you in for a super sensitive ultrasound. And I didn't know. I thought, I don't think I'd be able to see anything. So I remember laying there. I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm pregnant. But my next thought was going to the worst of like, well, what if there's nothing in the sex? You know what I mean? Because there's what you can have, what's called, um, they call it a, um, I Forgot the name of it now, but I know, it's and I
0: know what you're talking about too. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's like where like your a, body thinks it's pregnant, but you're not.
1: Yeah, they call it a blighted ovum. It's called yes. a blighted ovum, yes. and so it's where your body everything's normally pregnant, but the sac is empty or there's no heartbeat or something. And I remember like sit, laying on this table, and then my awesome doctor in Charlotte was doing a thing. He was really quiet, and I guess I kept thinking, like, oh God, please, like, I know I knew I was pregnant from the blood test and everything, but I was like, please, like, oh God, like please let there be a heartbeat and I remember he was so quiet and I was I kept thinking he's quiet like maybe something you know and um he said Jennifer he says he turns the screen to me and he said how many heartbeats do you see on that screen and I said (laughs) uh, hopefully not more than I saw two heartbeats Mm -hmm. and I just remember like Wow. so it was such a it was such a great day and uh you know that's why I said like you just never know you know God um or whatever you know whatever you believe in but for me it was you know it was just like my my brother always said you can't I'll give God you know I just wanted to have one and you know here he gave me two and um I did go but I did have a tough pregnancy I had to go on bed rest four months into it and um which is what kind of led into me having a pain pill addiction after the pregnancy. But anyway, we had our twins, boy and girl, <laughs> like, what could be And like, like, how could you ask for any better? Right. I and mean, we'd have been happy with whatever, but well, we didn't know the gender, but we had a boy and a girl. So it was like, yay, I don't have to do this anymore. We've got a boy and a girl. So anyway.
0: Um, oh, I want to interject there. <laughs> I actually, um, I had intermochies myself and I, um, I could, my husband and I, we, we had my daughter and then we couldn't get pregnant anymore. And, mm-hmm. and then years, years later, my first husband passed away. I was with another man um, and he did not want any children. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's fine. Cause I can't get pregnant. Okay. The times that I did get pregnant, with my husband i i lost a baby within oh. in that first trimester and after the third miscarriage she told me so my oncologist my gynecologist was um a female which i loved her to death but um she said you know it's not good on you mentally and physically to yeah. continue to to have this but um I still didn't, um, so from my beliefs, I didn't believe also in birth control and stuff, so I never took anything to stop that, but I just never had anything. Yeah. With my next husband that did not want children, Oh. <laughs> I ended up pregnant. Yeah. And I went into preterm labor at, so three- three and a half months so I got through the first trimester but then I went into preterm labor so I had to be hospitalized she was you know my my gynecologist said I am going to help you save this baby we are going to save it together so I was put on a drug Mm. uh, Meg. it was the short name for it and what it does is it stops all of your contractions yeah. It, it, it actually stops all your muscles. So I was bedridden.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the the drug was horrible when it was put into me. awful. but I had to stay bedridden from that point until I was at 38 weeks. so I was in I was in almost 18 weeks in bed in the hospital'm uh, well, with you. Okay, so I know that and and the other mm-hmm. part, that i was going to go to with that is um and i did have they had the contraction meter on the whole time and i was having contractions all the time but because of the drug the muscles weren't moving but boy that contraction meter would go up Mm -hmm. you know and um anyway and then i had internal sonograms like every three days Okay. So they could keep seeing how the baby was doing and so on and so forth. So I did know what I was going to have because of the internal sonograms. Sure. I always wanted to look up to see if that, if the lungs were growing and what, you know, what the baby was doing. So I accidentally seen the little, I had a boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got my girl and I got my boy, but what I wanted to say was, so at 38 weeks, the internal sonogram um so he was at six pounds something mm-hmm. and his lungs were fully developed so they said you know what we're just gonna go ahead and take you off the make and let you have the baby and it didn't happen yeah like i did not go into labor they took me off we were all prepared and nothing yeah nothing so after 24 hours they released me three weeks later oh my I know. Three weeks later, my water broke, um, but I couldn't. Um, I didn't have any contractions, none. Yeah, <laughs> I had none, and my water had broke. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. But so I like vacuumed and did all this stuff. And my husband was at work, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to call him right now because I'm not doing anything. But my gynecologist had said, you know, when that happens you're going to go quick. So you need to get to the hospital quick, but I wasn't having contractions or I didn't feel any anyway. Right. So I packed my bag, did all that stuff. I made the bed, got everything ready for when I came home. And then I, then I just call my doctor. I'm like, I'm on my way to the hospital. My water broke. And they're like, are you sure it was your water? And I'm like, Oh yeah. But they're like, well, you know, we're going to have to check first anyway to make sure. Yeah. whatever didn't matter but I got there and they checked and it was my water so you know okay so they put the contraction meter on and everything 23 hours go by and I've not felt a thing <laughs> still. Oh my gosh! but yet the contraction meter was off of the meter like wow. and they're like you're not feeling that I'm like no <laughs> and so um they called my doctor at 23 hours and said you know, you need to come in because at 24 hours, that's dangerous. The baby can go into distress. It can be a dry birth. It can be very complicated. Yeah. So she came in to check me. And when she checked me, I had the most horrible pain ever. So I was definitely very dry. Oh, that's too much information guys. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I <laughs> screamed in pain and she said okay we're going for a c-section right now okay um so um but what i wanted to tell you was well during those contraction meters um or during the contractions anyway um they asked me if i wanted the shot in the back what do you call that the
1: epidural epidural yeah. or spinal block, actually,
0: I guess epidural epidural is what they mm-hmm. called it at the time though. And I said, you know, no, because I had heard some bad stuff about it. Right. And I'm going to tell you about that in just one second, cause I'm going to go ahead to a anyway. So about the epidural is that I was warned that, so it was from my sister-in-law that she had severe back problems afterwards and she that's had them for years.
1: That's what happened to me. Yep. Okay. That's exactly what happened.
0: So go ahead with your story because I try to tell people now if they can stand it just to go through naturally because yeah. the epidural has caused so much damage with back pain
1: well and mine wasn't so mine wasn't epidural for the labor because i had a c-section so the twins they were pretty much they pretty much knew ahead of time they were going to need to be c-section because they have to both be head down to even attempt a vaginal birth and even then Mm -hmm. you'll wind up having one and then have still having to have a c-section if the other one flips Mm -hmm. so we had a scheduled c-section but so the epidural i guess they can call it that or a spinal block but whatever was you know was essentially the same thing right I, well, I had developed some major back pain and some, like everything got shifted around being on bed rest with the twins. I was very, I'm am five, four, um, 115 pounds. I didn't gain hardly any weight. I was sick all the time with them. And I felt like they weren't even going to be big enough. They were only four pounds each when they were born, even though they were technically full term, but I'm just very small. But like I don't four pounds
0: have... for twins isn't bad.
1: Right. Right. And, but I just, I was so they were packed in there so tight and it just, my back and being on bed rest and not being able to, to like my muscles atrophied. And like, I just developed all kinds of skeletal, like skeletal muscle issues. And um so after they, but, and then they, uh, then with the spinal block and everything, it just, I was never the same after that C-section, like my back, it just felt like, it felt like my body was in two separate halves. Like I couldn't, there was no, I could I was in pain or I couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't walk. I, it was just terrible. So I wound up having to go on pain medicine and get back injections. And, you know, cause like I said, I had been off the, you know, doing like the, you know, partying and dr- drugs and stuff and drink a little bit, but like, I didn't, hadn't, didn't really have any addiction, drug addictions that were, that had manifested themselves really strong. And I went on the pain medicine, but that, that's what, like really it started to come to the surface but it was physical really i wasn't don't think i was doing it so much for, for mental reasons although probably some of it did make me feel better because i went through just a very a period of feeling severely um inadequate after having these two infants i just couldn't do anything for myself and i felt like i didn't feel like i I don't know. I just felt like I didn't have that that like natural like mothering ability. But again, it is two at the same time. And it was such a shock to me. So I, but, but being physically uncomfortable all the time. So I was taking these pills, which made me tired. So it's like, I just never was able to fully function as what I feel like was like a, like a fully functioning mother, but who is right. Mm -hmm. But I had to have a ton of help. My mother-in-law, my in-laws are amazing. Like they came from Michigan and lived with us and just like, I mean, and then my parents, but it, it took a village literally, but I just could never really I just never could really get past having to take pills for the back and then being tired and trying to get up in the morning. I would just take like Adderall to get up, you know, give me, you know, some,
0: um, So the pain pills were making you really tired and then it was, well, maybe
1: a little bit tired, actually, well, in a way they gave me energy. It kind of depended. Right. So I slept a lot when they, when I, when I could I mean, I did go back to work right away in real estate. Only that th- only um it was six weeks after the twins were born. I was back working full-time and making, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, a uh, hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year um
0: in real but estate. So if but so I'm confused about the drugs because you're saying you're sleeping a lot, but they didn't make you tired. So the the pain pills, so well the <laughs> The sleeping a lot came a little bit
1: later. So it just depended on what the situation was. So initially it was the pain pills. The pain pills actually gave me a little bit of energy to get up because it made me feel better. But then it was like once I started, but then I felt like I needed a little bit more energy because it was just, I was exhausted. So then I wound up back on Adderall, which kind of like gave me, got me going and kept me going. But I would stay up for days at a time just because I would get like more into that manic mode.
0: But isn't Adderall for ADD? Yes, it is. And so when taken, when
1: taken, when taken properly, it worked well, but I have a tendency to overdo anything. I was not born with the moderation gene. So (laughs) if I thought, you know, they say there's a pill to cure addiction. I wonder what two would do. So, um, you know, that's how we think, right. Is Mm -hmm. if one's good. Two must be better. And that's pretty much that sums up my life. Right.
0: Actually, the last thing I heard from somebody with addiction, they taught one is too many and, and a thousand hundreds, is, or a thousand. a thousand is never
1: enough yeah it's,
0: it's like a 12 step now isn't it
1: mm-hmm, it is yeah it's part of it's in the big book um in the big book one is too many a thousand is never enough yeah and that really that does that just sums it up but like I said um but uh so anyway i so it was a combination i mean i I wish i could tell you what caused what and it was all just a kind of a just big jumbled up mess of different drugs you know that uh and then i would if i was up for too many days and kind of getting manic or on the pills for too long then i need to take xanax to go to sleep but i wound up having a gambling addiction from sometimes the pills that were that caused me to um like the stimulants cause it activated that gambling gene in me again <laughs> So it just, and so my poor husband, um, you know, and I, and I was working, so I was working still and still, like, it was just a combination of a mess of like,
0: you're the twins.
1: So, well, my, between my parents, his parents, him and then me, you know, me, but I was mainly working. I mean, I was making a ton of money <laughs> at mm-hmm. the time, which is odd because I had this major pill addiction, but I still functioned for the most part. I mean, I would get tired, but that's part of the reason I was probably taking the Adderall was to get up. I had to go, I was selling real estate. And I was, I think I made like $243,000 a year right before we got divorced. But, um, which is kind of amazing to me to look back, but, um, you know, uh, I was just, I don't know. I just, I don't know what I was overwhelmed, but at the same time felt like I needed to make money. But then I had this addiction I had to support with the pills and then the gambling became a problem. All this stuff was kind of happening underneath the nose of my husband at the time. He knew I was having some problems and I had to take pills for back pain and stuff, but um, Did he, and he, he didn't know to you about it. Yeah, we, we went through and that's the thing where he finally, we finally wound up getting divorced because, um so he kind of he would find out about different things that were happening and then then i started to dabble back into the cocaine a little bit like not a ton but enough where like where i would be at work like i'd be at work and then there would be like somebody that i knew that lived nearby so i was still dabbling a little bit in the cocaine and he basically was just like listen you know you got to get it together we we're going to have to get divorced and this went on for like 2 years so um the twins were about 2 and he was finally like look He's like, you've you got to go to you know get some help or go to detox. I'd never been to any kind of really treatment at that time for the most part. So I said, okay. So I went in to go to the doctor because I was going to like kind of get a checkup, figure out what to do, where to go. And so unbeknownst to me, they and now I had just turned 40, right? Because I had the twins at 38. So I just turned 40. It was a couple of months after my 40th birthday. We had gone out for my birth because we, we weren't really sleeping in the same room. We were struggling a little bit with our relationship because he was overburdened. He was tired. I was struggling with... Just everything. But <laughs> well, we went out for my 40th birthday, you know, and we celebrated. And so whatever. A couple months later, when he said, You gotta go, you've gotta. I'm I'm I can't stay if you're gonna continue being addicted like this. So I went into the doctor and they unbeknownst to me, they gave me a pregnancy test. Because I guess they just that's they just do that. Well, they knew I was gonna be trying to get off these pills.
0: So they, they said probably Jennifer, just did a urine
1: test, period. Yeah, well, yeah, they probably do. Of, I mean, they knew yeah. that's why I was there, but yeah, they probably have to do it regardless, right? Yeah. So anyway, they come back in the room and I'm sitting there and they said, um, so Jennifer, you're not gonna be able to go into detox off these pills. Well, they said you can, but they said the, the high likelihood, or well, they said you're, we can't, I'm sorry. They said we can't send you to a detox facility because um, they will not take pregnant women. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, your pregnancy test was positive. And I said, you need to go next door and tell the 24 year old that's probably sitting over there that she's pregnant. Cause I know you're not talking to me. I'm 40 and I spent a hundred thousand, we spent a hundred thousand dollars to have twins and went through all this. My first husband and I got divorced, you know, over like, I said, you've got to be kidding me. They said, no, we've checked it twice. I said, we need to check it a third time. But anyway, I was pregnant from more than likely, they were conceived on January 13th, <laughs> um, you know, of 20, I guess it would have been 20, uh, where was that it, number? Yeah, 2012, I guess, again. whatever, year 20, yeah, but anyway, um,
0: that's your number 13 again,
1: yeah, the lucky yeah, 13. That's my 13, yeah, and they were born in 2013, anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing the way that works, but anyway, so they were, so here we are, um, and, um, but so I was like, oh my God, like, so they're said, they said, you know, so you, you really, already, they said,
0: you already know that you were going to get a divorce or just think, he weren't. said, you need yeah. to get help
1: or I'm going to be gone. And so I went into, so we were, a divorce wasn't any, wasn't officially on the table at the time, but he said, you know, you need to get help or, you know, whatever. So right. anyway, I called him and I, I was like, so yeah, I'm trying to get help, but just so you know, I'm pregnant, you know, and at first I think he's probably thinking, Good Lord, whose is it? You know, because we hadn't really been together that much. You know, we were struggling Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. But of course it was, as you know. But um, anyway, (laughs) that's what I thought. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, So, but they said, well, you can't go, you can't go into deep. They won't take you pregnant. And- chances are you would miscarry when you go into withdrawals from the opiates so they put me on um they started me on methadone which i that's like a kind of an outdated archaic um way to try to get people off of opiates but suboxone and subutex are the new kind of today's version of that and basically what it is it's a way to prevent people from getting sick and going into withdrawals without them running around and taking pills or using needles um and potentially overdosing is more of a controlled way where they can go to these clinics. It's like a synthetic opiate, um, but it has a blocker in it. Suboxone has a blocker in it, which in theory would prevent somebody to go out and spend a bunch of money on drugs because if it's blocking the effects of opiates, it's kind of a waste of money. Now I'm sure people have found ways around this, but in theory, that's what it is, is it's, okay. it keeps you from getting sick, helps you step down, get away from the drugs, go through a program. But at the same time, it blocks it so that if you try to use, it's not going to affect you, you, you know, it the way you want it to. Right. Okay. Well, and the blocker can affect pregnant women negatively. So what they did, there is a drug called Submutex. Same thing, just without the blocker. But it doesn't, you know, so the benefit is it doesn't have the blocker to harm the fetus, but the, the downside is people can still get high yeah. if they took that and then went out and did opiates because the blocker's not in there. But and that wasn't really a concern for me at the time. I just didn't want to get sick and be in the hospital. Every time I tried to get up the pills, I was physically ill. So anyway, they put me on Subutex and that was really more designed for p- pregnant women and they monitored me and we went through the pregnancy and kind of stepped down. Did you have to
0: be in the hospital with this one?
1: No, I didn't have it. didn't have to be on bed rest or anything like that. I just had to be, you know, dosed this this just so I wouldn't go into withdrawals. And they had to monitor him, you know, it's it's supposed to be safer, you know, um than the methadone and being on other other opiates, but they did monitor him real closely when he was born. He was born, I mean, perfect. Um mm-hmm. he was a week early. I did have a little bit of labor wound up going through a C-section, but in, in they kind of watched him for a while. They thought maybe he had a little bit of tremors and things, but it, at the end of the day, it was really perfect. And we went home four days later. And so, um, but I went into shortly thereafter, I went into treatment um, those first few weeks when he was home, I was trying to get off the opiates, but I was still having a hard time waking up and getting energy. So I was still taking I started taking the pills again to get up and go to the sleep. Adderall. Yeah. Adderall and Xanax. And then having mm-hmm. still having the gambling problem. So there was this four week period where I had a newborn, but then a newborn
0: I- and you were trying, you were gambling.
1: Well, it was not well gambling. I was I would buy I had this problem where I would buy massive amounts of scratch off tickets at the gas station.
0: Oh. So I wasn't
1: going and gambling at a place, but still I was still gambling, right? But I I don't know, it was something about that Adderall that made me want to gamble. So that's so weird. Anyway, he found out about this, you know, really the depth of what was going on. And it was about my son was about four four to six weeks old and he um I went into treatment and got off the opiates and came home the day I came home from the hospital uh I went directly to my parents house and there was a knock at the door and it was a process server uh he was filing for divorce and taking the children that was December of um December of 2015 and that was the day my life pretty much stopped um as I know it and um you know, cause it wasn't just the, I mean, it, it was, it was my kids, but it was also the love of my life. You know, we never, we didn't have any infidelity. I mean, there was, there was trust issues from me and what I was doing, you know, to hide, not because I didn't love him. I just didn't want to hurt him. And I didn't, you know, I was embarrassed,
0: Right. but it wasn't
1: like anybody was cheating on anybody. And we never were like, we never like fought, you know, we might have disagreements, but overall it was a good marriage. And I just remember thinking like, this can't be the end of the story. Like, I worked so hard to have those kids, and then God gave me this magical baby. Like, this can't be how it ends. You know, I just remember there was just that day. Well, it was, I don't even know how, like, i like, literally, I feel like every ounce of my being shat, like, was just shattered. Like, I felt like I was having an automatic experience, but I was like, I
0: can't end imagine. this way.
1: I was like, how can he, how can God give me this wonderful baby and these wonderful kids? And like, I just can't end this way. And I was, and I had just gotten off everything. You know, I just come essentially out of, you know, I I feel like I was starting over, but you know, by that time he just had, he, you know, I guess he just had either fallen out of love with me or, you know, he, um, just couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, the financial thing, but I remember him saying like, you know, he had to do something drastic because he didn't want to have, or have to tell our kids that, you know, his that their mom died of an overdose and he didn't do anything to stop it. Did so... He,
0: did he think you were taken enough to overdose?
1: Well, I don't know. See, he doesn't come from necessarily any kind of background with it. Like, I don't know that he knew and... He probably didn't... He didn't know. I mean, I probably didn't even know. Most people probably don't think that they have the potential to overdose and they wind up overdosing. You know, sometimes that can sneak up. So I don't know. You know, I'm not sure what he thought. But, you know, it progressively gets worse. So he probably he he really didn't know what I was taking, you know, how, and what, what it does, you know, he just didn't have a history of that. Whereas I probably knew a little bit more about it, but anyway, so to his credit, you know, he, I mean, he just was trying to survive and do what he could and what he thought was right for the kids. But yeah, I mean, it was so, so I thought, well, okay, so in the state we're in, you have to be separated for a year before you can be divorced. And I stayed sober. I would, cause I'd gotten off the opiates. I wasn't on those in, anymore. I was to head tapered off and I stayed sober. I went to treatment. I went to meetings and, you know, come that one year came and we had, um, you know, we we still had a good relationship and I saw the kids every weekend and everything with my parents and whatnot. And again, never fought. And he was always pulling for me. He's always been in my corner, encouraging me. He's never said, as far as I know, a bad word about me. And he's, he's an amazing father. Like he's an amazing person. And his parents, like they're just, they can't, and my parents, (laughs) I mean, um, So, but I just kept thinking, gosh, if I stay sober, you know, just, you know, God can, you know, like things can work out. And so, and he, I had taken off my wedding ring because after when he took, when that, when I got that paperwork, that was my reaction was to take that wedding ring off Mm with my um that man wore that wedding ring every single day for that year we were separated. I mean, a lot of people take it off, right? I just think sometimes they don't want to look at it and think he wore his wedding ring every single day because in his mind, we were still married, you know, and he wore it every single day. And I thought sort of that gave me hope a little bit, but then hope. we got the call, you know, the call to, to go to finalize everything at the attorney's office. And I remember I kept thinking like maybe, like, maybe he won't sign it. Like maybe some, it'll I'll be like some mag- movie. There'll yeah. be this magical movie moment, right? And when he showed up, he didn't have, he didn't have the ring on. And so I just, you know, I just, I didn't, I really pretty much shut down from that point forward. I just remember watching him sign the papers and just, you know, and I just cried to myself. And again, it was, you know, we weren't fighting or anything. There was no cause words. And I just left that day and I thought, you know what, I stayed sober and it didn't for what, I mean, in my mind, it was like, it didn't even help. So I was like, I felt like drinking. So I went to, and I started drinking a little bit and was, and the couple drinks in, I was like, oh man, I need some cocaine. That would make me feel so much better. But I hadn't done cocaine in so long. I didn't know who to call. I wound up on the wrong side of town and gave somebody a hundred dollar bill, asked for cocaine and they brought me back a bag of crack and I didn't know what it they was. they tell you that it was crack? or They, they didn't, un- they said they, oh, we didn't know. We thought you want. They, whatever. They were trying to pull the wool over my eyes. I'm sure they just wanted my money and figured that's probably all that was available because the neighborhood I was in that tended to be what was being in, consumed. I don't I don't really know, but they, they, and they said, oh, you don't know. I said, I don't even know what, the, what this is. I can't, and I was like, you can't snort it. They said, oh, well, we'll show you, you know? Well, yeah. So that started a couple year period of, of having severe addiction with that. And it was, that's when the violent crime really started to happen to me. I was so yeah, because
0: you mean in, as in violent crime. So, within first four
1: months of me trying that for the first time, my car was stolen twice. I was shot while I was in the car. I was a passenger of a car where a drug dealer had gone bad. I got shot in the shoulder. It was it was a it was a it was a graze. It wasn't a full penetration, but um, I was. Carjacked, yeah. Carjacked twice. I had broken bones. Just people were always trying to because I had car money
0: and carjacked.
1: They took. They would. They dragged me out of the car, took my car, and stole my car.
0: And were <laughs> what were you doing? Just sitting in a car? I was in a bad
1: neighborhood waiting for drugs. And, and come, so, did camp. they
0: hold a gun up to take your car?
1: Or? Uh, one one of the two times, yes. Yeah, one of the times I just got pulled out, but I've been I've been at gunpoint. I've been held at gunpoint multiple oh, times. When
0: you sat there, you didn't like have your car doors locked.
1: Uh well, let's see. For the first one, no. Uh one of them I had just pulled up to a stop sign. So I don't I don't even know. I have no idea. I don't remember. I just know I just remember the first one I got pulled out of the car. The second one I had stopped the car. And so sometimes when you stop the car and put it in park, the doors like the thing will open. So I don't know. I don't remember.
0: Okay. But anyways, already high.
1: No, I was trying to get high. So you weren't high at the time? Funny. No. Well, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, probably from—it's uh, hard to say at any given moment. But um, I mean, it was. Yeah, the neck was on for days and hours on end. But well, um, apparently,
0: you're in a really bad area.
1: Oh yeah, no, I picked the I picked the worst side of town for Charlotte to pick up that. Well, first of all, that type of drug tends to be in a little bit more of a of a rougher, violent area. Not always, but that just ha- tended to be where was more prevalent. And once, yeah. And then once you're in that mindset and people are like, well, I don't understand why, why don't you go to like a better part of town and do it? I mean, like you're, you're in active addiction. You're not thinking clearly like, well, I really should go into a better neighborhood and look for crack. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't happen. Right. So anyway, I was, I, um, so that happened multiple times. My car was stolen. I got shot. And then I eventually, uh, 2018, September 1st, 2018, I had actually been sober for four months, this is what's ironic, I had been sober for four months, and I just, but I happened to be back in, I was back in real estate again, I had just gotten a newer car, different car, since the other one got shot up with bullets. I was in the same neighborhood, I was in the neighborhood, not not because of drugs. I was actually sober, but I had to go there to show an investment property Mm -hmm. and some, and a mid-level drug dealer that knew me, recognized me, my car had hit a pothole and I got out and I couldn't, it was like, had a huge flat tire and I got out to look at it. Well, he saw me and he, he and his girlfriend, they, um, there was a drug deal gone bad basically. And they, so they knew that I knew where this other person lived. I was one of the mm. only people that knew this person lived. They wanted me to take them to their to this guy's house because they were going to kill him. Oh gosh. Yes, but I said I don't remember. I don't know the address. I don't remember. They put me in car, held me in the put me in the car, at gunpoint. He broke my jaw, put me in the bus, broke my jaw, put me in the back seat of the car. They held me at gunpoint for several hours, drove me around, mentally tortured me. Um, wanted me to tell them where they lived, where the guy lived. I told them I didn't, they grabbed my phone, looked through my phone, went back and realized there was a conversation where, that I did know where the guy lived, didn't give the address, but it bas- basically said, was like, Hey, I'll be over. I'm coming by the house, et cetera. They went back a whole year in my phone and looked at no. these messages. He stopped the car, the, the guy, the male abductor stopped the car, took the gun from her. She'd been holding the gun on me the whole time. He took the gun from her turned around, pointed it at my forehead. And I'm in the backseat. My face is already, already, I already have like a broken jaw.
0: Oh, they hit
1: you? He hit me when he, yeah, when he first put me in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was all messed up. He turned around, he put the gun at my forehead and said, I'm going to ask you one more time where, the, where this guy lives. You're going to take me where he lives. He goes, I'm going to put a bullet in his brain or I'm going to put it in your, a bullet in your brain. It's going to be your choice. But, and- there was a, so this particular person had actually helped me and tried to get me off drugs. This particular person they wanted to kill, even though he was involved with drugs, he actually was like a unusually good person and was trying to get me off of the drugs and had let me come stay at his house and was trying to help me get sober. Cause he knew like, he actually called my parents in the middle of the night. One time when I was missing, he saw me out having some trouble in the streets and he called my parents. He didn't know me. He just knew my last name. He looked at my parents' phone number and four, uh, one, one said, Mr. And Mrs. Oram. You don't know me. He gave my parents his real name, which is unusual. When you're out there in the street, nobody gives their real name. Gave my parents his real name. Said you don't know me. This is my name. Your daughter's in trouble. I was trying to help her. I was trying to find her. You need to call the police and report her missing. This is so. This is the guy that the other, the bad they guy wants looking. to kill.
0: They will
1: Right? The, he wasn't a great, but he had his issues. He had been in prison. This guy that was helping me, right? But he had. Done so much for me. He wasn't perfect, right. but they wanted to know where he lived, and there was a small child that lived at his house, at this house. And they I said, so for the, hmm? he, there was a drug. It there was a it was a transaction gone bad. I, like I said, the person that I'm referencing wasn't perfect by any means. He still had some dealings, but not to overall a good person, right? I mean, there's still good people that do bad things, right? Sure. So to, of course. So is. he was one of those. Overall, like ninety nine percent, really good. Mm -hmm. But you know there was a there was a transaction that that happened that they they wanted to kill him because there was some money lost
0: do you know were they high at the time
1: uh they were looking for well they were looking for for drugs they were looking for their own drugs but he was a deal this guy was a dealer he was a mid-level dealer it wasn't really a big dealer but there was a whole host of different things they wanted they wanted all kinds of stuff but he was i'm
0: confused did they did they hijack you carjack whatever we want to call it to um for you to go help them get, you know, take the no they this wanted to, to know drugs or just they, kill him.
1: They held me at gunpoint because they wanted to know where this guy lived. And they knew that I knew they knew I probably knew where he lived. They wanted me to take them there, but I told them I did not know.
0: Okay, so I get that, but I'm saying mm-hmm. so but they didn't want to get drugs. Um, no, they wanted to kill him. Yeah. I mean,
1: they, oh, they wanted drugs too. Yeah. But that's a whole nother thing. But the whole reason that they held me at gunpoint is because he did them, they, he felt, they felt they that he did them dirty. There was a transaction that was questionable and there was some money that would have been owed, but they, he, he basically told me, I want, I'm, you're going to take me there. Cause I'm going to kill him is what he told me in no uncertain terms. Mm-hmm. This guy was a very bad person. Um, He is currently actually, well, after,
0: so I uh, ask you, he's, Oh you no, he's in prison uh, for yeah. homicide.
1: He yeah. After what he did to me. So he, they kidnapped me. I escaped out of the car. He chased me down pistol with me. My f- face was my, eye was hanging out of my head. I was laying in the street, basically partially unconscious. He strangled me till I urinated myself. Some bystanders pulled him off. He drove he, they ran away. Um, I woke up in emergency um, facial reconstruction surgery.
0: So you don't even know how you got to the hospital or who?
1: Well, I know the ambulance did come. I did wake up at one point in the ambulance.
0: Um, Somebody must have called them.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody did. Um, Which was unusual because the neighborhood we were in, typically people kind of scatter because a lot of times
0: they have warrants.
1: There was a couple of good people, a couple of bystanders that um pulled the pulled the offender off of me and then an, an actually was an older veteran man called the he was only one that <laughs> stayed but well he's not the only that stayed but he called the ambulance the ambulance came police came um they did wind up arresting this person uh a couple days later he was in jail for 30 days so I went through facial reconstruction surgery and went through all this stuff. Um They released him. I didn't know it. They, they, the detectives told me he was probably going to stay in jail for, or wasn't going to be coming out because they, he had so many felonies. Um, they had chased him. He crashed his car into a house. Uh, the police had chased him. He crashed his car into somebody's living room. A stolen car. Like he had so many felonies. They're like, you know, you're, you'll be okay. Well, they released him thirty days and put him on an ankle monitor after my kidnapping. They charged him with kidnapping, assault with a firearm. Um. Uh, de- de- uh, deadly! Fo- all kinds of stuff.
0: I take it he didn't make it to that guy's house. No, because I escaped out of the car.
1: I escaped out of the car. You I refused. I was know, never going to take him. Yeah, I was found, never going to take him.
0: I he, but he never found it through anybody else. So no, that, nobody. I, that no, nobody knew it.
1: the. No, nobody knew the guy I was one of the few. Oh, because the guy kind of stayed out of the way because he was really trying to better his life. He wasn't one trying to be in the mix. So, like, I, nobody knew where this guy lived. Nobody. I was the only one. And I was not about to tell them, even though people like, why would you protect another drug dealer, even though he wasn't really a drug dealer? I said, because he, because of what he did for me and because there was a small child at that house, I was not about, I said, you know what, God going to figure it out and help me get out of this car. I didn't know how, but I was not going to be the one to drive him there mm-hmm. and and potentially have an innocent bystander get killed because it was a regular, you know, nice, decent neighborhood. And I thought, you know, like, God, God got my back. He'd been, he, he's gotten me out of so many other things. I thought I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I did escape out of the car, but he did chase me down. But yeah, he was arrested a couple of days later, um, put it on an ankle monitor. And while he was on the ankle monitor, he murdered somebody, actually a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine. Um, uh, acquaintance, I said, it was a drug acquaintance. It wasn't like my best friend. It was a drug right. acquaintance of mine. Somebody that I used to spend quite a bit of time with. He murdered while he was on the ankle monitor.
0: Wow.
1: So he's in prison. During this
0: time, were you, first of all, you were, were you living at your parents or not?
1: No, I was basically living from place to place on the street or wherever, not on the street, literally, but I was in my
0: car (laughs) probably. And were you still able to visit your children? No,
1: I went through long periods of no contact with my family at all. My family reported me missing a couple, I think a couple of times.
0: Okay. But like your choice, right?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. Inactive addiction. No, I just, it. well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I wanted to, but I wasn't in a, f- I wouldn't be able to present myself. It's, you know, I was not in good what shape. What I'm saying is it wasn't your ex-husband saying, no, you
0: can't come see the kids.
1: Correct. Yes. I mean, he, he want Yeah. It was me just going off the rails. You know what I mean? And so just did being, you like
0: call in and tell him, I'm not going to see the Sometimes
1: kid. I would message once in a while, but it was usually just some sort of excuse of where I was and why I wasn't. And it wasn't because I didn't want to see them, but it was because I was physically like, I couldn't I couldn't be present myself the way I was. I was in serious, addic- serious addiction. Okay. So um, yeah, so he put, you know, I, when I went through, you know, Periods of where I would get sober for a while, or whatever, but um it was never a very long time. So he never really, he's never really seen, he and my children never really seen this version of me mm-hmm. for any length of time, you know, because when other than we were married, yeah, I wasn't, you know, doing like a whole bunch of drugs, but like, you know, we were trying to get pregnant with through all that. So, but he's never really seen this version of me where I, I mean, I haven't had a drop of alcohol. Actually today's 213 days. Today is congratulations. Th- 213 days, you know. Here's 13 13 number. Number. It is, I know. So 213 days. Um, That's the longest period. I've gone periods where I didn't have like do a lot. I probably nine months maybe was the longest, but I still kind of smoke alcohol in those nine months. This is the first time that I've been 100% like, <laughs> Even, authentically even to myself like not a drop of anything since
0: for 213 days okay so during that 213 days did you go through a, a recovery recovering treatment yes yeah,
1: so so i wound up um so after that all of that and um my sobriety date is july 13th 2021 oh um yeah no it's whenever there's a, something important happening god sends a 13 so um some way, shape or form, but anyway, um, I knew Charlotte was getting dangerous for me. It just was, it was getting increasingly more dangerous for me just to be around and just the people I was associating with. I'm talking, I mean, it was pretty serious. So um, I said, I just always love Charleston and I just said, you know, I knew, so there's what's called an Oxford house, which I think is the sobriety's best kept secret for people that are maybe they're you know, maybe, maybe they go to detox or they go to rehab or they don't want to go to like long-term treatment. Mm -hmm. where they're living somewhere for a year or two and it's like kind of like a facility or like it's called an oxford house and you know they don't advertise it as a 501c3 organization they're not affiliated specifically they're they're based they're um, they mirror there's a lot of things that mirror the 12-step program of aa and and na but um it's it's a it's a chair a non-for-profit um, and they're called an Oxford house. And it's basically just a regular home. It's like sober living. So you'll hear people talk about sober living homes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they basically are where you're living in a regular house in a regular neighborhood. You probably, you might even live next to an Oxford house and not even know it. You might see that there's maybe, you know, m- multiple cars out there because you have multiple residents. Um, but so where I live Actually, right now,
0: I'm at the ones that we do have, and I only know it because of the, um, volunteer stuff that I do yeah but they're not allowed to give out the address because a lot a lot of the women come from a amusement so
1: yes or or environments where they're putting themselves in in witness protection like me right (laughs) right but um but yeah so I but I knew I could go to an Oxford house they're they're all over the world now they're not sometimes there's some cities that might not have any or they may be few and far between but um, just for anybody that need, if somebody wants to learn how to live sober, and needs. To, you know, if you don't have money right away, they'll work with you on deposits, and you, we do work and pay weekly rent. And I, I choose to be there because I love it. It's a safe environment for me. Um, I work a twelve step program. But um, oxfordvacancies.com, if anybody needs information, um, the, it'll tell you the vacancies. There are houses that will offer, um, you can come. It's not a halfway house and it's not like a facility. It's a regular house. It's a, sober, it's a democratically run sober living home. Men and women are separate. There are homes that are called women and children or mommy and me houses, where if somebody has a child or is pregnant, they are child friendly. You are required to work. You are required to att- attend twelve-step meetings. There are curfews in place. You know, you do have to do things around the home, but it's saved my life, changed my life completely. I absolutely love it. Like, we're moving into a new house. Like, I don't like people say, "Oh, how long do you have to be there?" I was like, "I don't have to be here. I love it. It's like being in a
0: small." Sorority can you like we- live there forever?
1: I can. Yeah, as long as I follow the rules, and it's inexpensive. Um, they range between anywhere between one hundred to one hundred and forty dollars a week. Um, and that's you know you we pay, we pay for our own food, but that's your um rent and your um utilities, but it's like it's just
0: so it's what something. do you have like an apartment or a room
1: it's a house, it's a single family house we're actually moving into a six bedroom house with a big pool in the backyard wow. at the end of this month, yes, and it's in a regular neighborhood, nobody would ever know and um it's really a everybody and we um everybody follows rules, we do weekly meetings, and so if somebody's you know, you can drug test somebody at any time. Um, and if we don't have to comply with regular landlord tenant laws, like if somebody is not complying, like we're allowed there, they have
0: to leave the home. They have to leave the house. But is there somebody there 24 hours a day that is there nope. for you?
1: Uh no, we're it's all we're all independent. We're just we're single people that choose to live in a, a sober living environment and we have a house president, like and they they rotate. There's nobody in charge.
0: So we you know if you drink or not.
1: They would give you a drug test or um, the house would get together and they would give you either a breathalyzer or um, breathalyzer. But our drug tests that we use actually detect alcohol. But what I'm saying
0: is like, so do they do that randomly? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Or if, or if your behavior changes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So somebody would have to report that if there's no, if there's not somebody from the organization that that Mm -hmm. is in that house, somebody would have to report it.
1: Yeah, we would notice. We notice what each, we notice each other's behavior because we see each right. other every day. So it's, and in, regardless, it's always principles over personalities, right? So even I had to, my best friend who unfortunately just lost her battle with addiction about two months ago, I met her at an Oxford house. We were in treatment together and um, she had an alcohol problem. It stemmed it and then it wound up going into other things. She just, she just, um, they just found her dead, Um I was told it was an overdose. I found out uh, after the fact because her heard I had been estranged. But, um, she her when her and I first lived together, when I found out she had relapsed, I loved her so much, but I I could tell her behavior changed immediately. She had relapsed and then started drinking in her room, and we immediately called the house together. And um, you know, I took her to took her to detox, but she had to leave the house for a while, and then she was able to come back. Um, but yeah, we do Are it because
0: meetings we meetings in that, that house. In- no, we have
1: house meetings where we just, we pay our bills. We have a treasurer, we have a president, a secretary, it's a regular full business meeting. And then we go to twelve-step meetings three to five times a week. We go. We're required to go three. We have to go to three. But, but you when have to new, show
0: proof for that, or how's that? Um, you
1: no, know, when you're new, when your first thirty days, they ask you to have a meeting sheet signed. Although with COVID, or well, with I'm sorry, with everything, I don't always say that word, but right. when, with everything going on, um, we are you are allowed to do twenty four hour Zoom meetings, where you can you can in you know you just write down. You take a screenshot of you being on there, but just. The first 30 days, once, because it's not, it's not supposed, it's not supposed to be some sort of, the whole point is to teach you how to live independent, make good decisions. So the first 30 days, we just try to help people because they may be coming right off the street. They might be coming right out of a treatment program where they're learning to live again. So we try to give them a little bit more structure. Once you're past that 30 days and you're complying with everything, yeah, we don't check on each other with meetings. We really, you know, when somebody's working a program or not, you know, working with the sponsor, you can tell.
0: Um, well, like you can leave and go spend the night at somebody's house and yeah, you're totally, okay.
1: Yep. Um, so it's basically, it's three, up to three nights a week. You can spend the night out, just not three consecutive. And the reason for that is because three consecutive, you can beat a drug test. So if you go out and screw up, if you're gone, so you have to not more than two in a row, but yeah, we, and I go, you know, I go back and visit my kids and stay overnight and stuff. Um,
0: so when you go, you go visit your kids, how often do you get to do that?
1: So I'm, I'm normally it would be once a weekend, but um, just because of the fact of where I'm, where I'm at, it's been more like every two weeks, but I talk to them a lot more. I see them a lot more being a little further away than I ever did being there because I had some bad associations mm-hmm. there. So this is just safer, but um, we do, we do like FaceTime and stuff all the time, but um, I'll be going to see them
0: tomorrow. Oh, yay. Yeah. Now Do you, yeah. do you have a, an iPhone where you can FaceTime them or,
1: yeah, I don't have an iPhone, not- but it's, uh, basically it's, it's a similar app. Yeah. We FaceTime.
0: That's cool. So. Um, and then has your ex-husband, is he in a relationship? Has he gotten remarried? Has-
1: um, no, well, he has had a couple of relationships. Um, that was for hard. The first time I, the kids accidentally let it slip because, you know, he, again, but the, this man wore his wedding ring up till the very day, you know, uh, he's just, he's just a good guy. But, um, so I just kept thinking, Oh God, I couldn't imagine him ever being with anybody else. So the first time I found that out, it was really devastating to me. I think I relapsed shortly thereafter, but, um, he's, not, I don't know if he is not, we don't always really talk about it. Typically I can kind of tell sometimes, you know, the kids, the kids just, they don't like when they know they're not supposed to talk about something, that's when they like to talk about stuff. So I might to hear them say a name or whatever, but as far as I know right now, not, um, I did for, I did meet a girl that he was with, For the first time which is the first time i've ever saw this man with another woman uh and this was a couple months ago um i don't know that they're together anymore it sounds like maybe they're not but um i try not to i i actually i felt surprisingly good after i was so traumatized about the thought of having to like i didn't think i'd ever be able to deal with that just because Mm -hmm. of you know Mm -hmm. just everything um plus you know father of my children um But I met her and uh, I felt like surprisingly good, but I think that's a testament to how far I've come because I feel so good about who I am today and all the things I'm doing. Like, it was just this relief. I was like, okay, that wasn't that bad. You know, and I was polite and cordial and they were probably surprised that I was because, you know, I mean, at one point Mm -hmm. I was just... but yeah, I don't know. I'm not really hundred percent sure, but, um, I just know that I'm okay. No matter what, I am so lucky to have the relationship considering what I put everybody through, including him and, you know, not being there for my kids. Like I am so lucky. I'm a, honestly, I have very little stress today. I really do. I'm so happy. Um, you know, people are like, Oh God, you know, you're living away from them and you're in this like sober living house. I love it. My life is so amazingly awesome. The girls I live with are awesome. My sobriety is awesome. My sponsor is awesome. I have great friends. I feel good about myself. I never have to look in the rearview mirror wondering if I'm getting pulled over. You know, I don't have to look in the wake up in the morning feeling hungover. Like, and and then the keto diet is a whole other facet to it. But I just I feel so good. I mean, yeah, I wish I could see the kids a little bit more, but that's going to come with time. And but I'm so proud. I just know. I remember I told him my ex husband. You know, I said, I know, I feel like I don't ever want them to resent me, but I said, if anything, you know, they might say, oh, I remember, you know, there's a lot of times mom wasn't around, but I said, you know, if, if, if anything they can, I just want them to know, like, you know, mom mom. And- mommy was tough as nails like she went through some stuff but she's tough and she survived it and one day they'll understand what addiction is you know I asked them to forgive me about a couple months ago when I saw them I said I know I haven't been around so mom wasn't feeling good and she was struggling with missing you guys and I said I wasn't always doing I said I was doing some things that weren't very good for me and I said I'm sorry I said I'm not going anywhere anymore I said will you forgive me And they said yes mommy of course we'll forgive you and uh, so you know I just want to be if you know I can't go back and change that but I just want to be Want them to be able to look back and say you know my mom struggled and yeah we missed her when we were a little bit younger
0: you know but she taught us about if your ex-husband their father has talked to them about drugs.
1: Um, I don't know if he's talking about drugs. I know they were going to start getting some counseling about just the fact that I wasn't around and the divorce and everything. I don't know about that specifically. Um, I don't think so. I think they were still pretty young. They're getting older now. Like I said, they're nine and then the little guy's six. But um, I think he probably hasn't specifically mentioned that yet. I know he just, I don't know. we we'll probably need, we'll need to talk about that. But like I said, we're just sort of getting back into like a regular routine again, so Um, Well,
0: you know what? I'm I'm hoping that when you hit your year Mm -hmm. that because this is this is now this is coming from the life coach from from me. Okay. the the twins are definitely old enough and the youngest is he six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're actually in schools now teaching that. So right to. I, I I feel like if the two of you could sit down together yeah. and explain to them that it would like probably clear off a lot of stuff that you guys might not even know is going through their heads. Yeah. Um, but also that they would be proud of you be, yeah. and of their dad because their dad made a decision that he probably it probably wasn't easy for him. Yeah you know, I'm sure it wasn't. I, I know that from me having to do that. It's mm-hmm. the, the the worst part about it is using tough love. So I'm not sure that he fell out of love with you. And that's why he made that choice. I think he made that choice for your children. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and I'm sure it hurt him. Yeah. Even though and, and then it probably hurt him to sign those papers too. you know, at that year that went or nine months that went by or whatever that he was wearing his ring he was probably really struggling
1: yeah.
0: with do I or don't I what's best for these kids
1: yeah
0: um and so it's wonderful that you have nothing bad to say about him and so as far as you know he hasn't said anything bad about you yeah
1: it's not really in his DNA I mean, he's like I said, he's sort of—he's—I don't know if he's sort of, i think he probably should be studied by science. I don't know if he's real, <laughs> sometimes, but but I'm sure he's got some flaws. But I'm just not—I wouldn't—I wouldn't be
0: able to find them. But I'm just saying, um, coming from seeing both mom and dad that are adult enough and have. A relationship where they can both sit down and talk to you is probably the best thing for them
1: yeah I think we're probably getting closer to that point like I said I probably it's good I'm glad, actually glad we talked about this because it's probably something I need to think about yeah
0: and so do you do you two ever talk without the kids
1: um yeah we do I mean on the it's a lot of it's through text, but we have talked on the phone and when um, we've actually gone to lunch before, not recently, since I've been here, it's really been about trying to get, uh, you know, going He man he's like super dad he's like started like a dad's club in his neighborhood he's like coaches oh. like three different he's just really he's he took a job that was probably not paying as much because the other one was taking away time from the kids like he's just he's really i'm so thankful for him but we do talk um we probably need to talk a little bit more independently you know because but he's katie has got so much on him. It's just, and I have, I I'm struggling with a little bit of guilt about that, about the fact and I'm trying to contribute. I have a child support payment. That's pretty high that I'm, you know, doing as best I can to, we work, you know, he's, he's so good about working with me on it, but he, he needs the support. And I just haven't been, I've been in and out and in my own wallowing in my own self-pity for a couple of years. So I'm finally like reaching that point where I can help
0: contribute, you know, that's good. That's really good. So, so what if, you know, we got listeners out there that have been through a lot of this stuff that you have, but also those that haven't been, or could be right in the middle of doing drugs yeah. and alcohol and everything. What's the one thing that you would say to everybody?
1: You know, um, one is just, just rise up and, and reach for, you know, if you're, if you're, if you don't realize what you're about to, I can tell you for those that are like young, or maybe don't see the consequences, I'm tell you, it's like when I was in my late mid to late twenties, you know, gosh, you know, it was kind of fun. It just made me feel good for a while. And people say, you know, um, some people say, Oh, well, I've, you know, oh, I've struggled my whole life. I've never had anything. I was like, just imagine. I said, I don't know what's, what's more <clears throat> painful, the pain of like struggling and never having something in life or the pain of, I had it all, including a white picket fence and, you know, money and a husband and like, I had it all and lost it. So is that pain, the pain of that regret of losing it? I don't know which, there's no right answer, but you just gotta, it's, it it doesn't get better The the drug addictions and the things out there, they always say, when you go to a 12 step meeting, they say, come try it, try a sober life with this. And if it doesn't work out for you, I promise your misery will be refunded because it doesn't get any better. It's pr- pretty much goes downhill. Some people faster than others, but, um, you're like, I'm telling your life is, like. and I'm not saying that I don't judge people that drink on, because people that have the moderation gene can do things like that, like drinking. you know, I have drugs, obviously, and it's really probably just best to stay away from. Um, but, you know, some people can drink in moderation. Um, I just can't. If you find that your life is better when you stop drinking, if your life gets better when you stop drinking or using drugs, then chances are you might have a problem. <laughs> if you're, You know what I mean? If your life gets better. Um, you know, some people, again, they may be able to drink and everything's, they drink on a moderation level and life stays the same. But if your life gets markedly better, when you stop using drugs and alcohol, then chances are that you probably have something that, you know, could really develop into something horrible. And, um, you know, people say, oh, when I lost this, when I was in addiction, I lost this, I lost this, I lost this. And I used to say that to my sponsor. I was like, I lost all these things in addiction. She said, Jennifer, don't deceive yourself. She said, you gave them away.
0: Mm-hmm. you didn't
1: lose them you gave your children away you mm-hmm. gave your marriage away and that was hard to hear but I'll tell you what or I said I remember one time I said I said I don't steal like I'm not like some people when they get into addiction they steal from others right mm-hmm. and I was like I don't steal I'm not like I'm not a thief I don't steal and she said and again she said Jennifer don't deceive yourself you stole those people's trust you stole their time you mm-hmm. stole their you know their 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 Security. They're feeling. You know, you stole all kinds of things. Just not maybe money, or maybe right. not things. Right. You stole some something that they can't get back. And man, I tell you, those are, those are really powerful words. Yeah. And so that made me, so she, man, she put me, she was good. She's, I still, I, I, she's not my sponsor anymore. Cause I moved, but um, I'm telling you. And so a 12 step program, people think, oh God, that sounds so terrible. I'm telling you 12 step program. And it could be for anything. So there, cause there's overeaters oh, anonymous, true. there's gamblers, anonymous, there's sex anonymous, whatever it's called. Sex addiction. A 12 a step program just shows you how to live. It's not specifically, it's not even about the alcohol or the drug specifically. It's about character defects, about things that we do a spiritual disease, um, you know, being self-centered. It's, it's just, if you can get, if, if anybody, if I could, a highly recommended read is the original book, the 12, Steps, um, the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the first 164 pages, I actually have, because I have a, a company, it's called Inspiring Sobriety, it's Recovery Apparel. And I have a little design in me, it says 164 pages saved my life the first 164 pages of the AA book talks about 12 steps being it's just showing you how to live again.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: what it's really done. It just shows you how to live again.
0: Okay. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up and I hope you don't take this wrong, but when, when you went into, so you were still married and your husband said, you know, you, you've got to get help or we're going to have to get divorced you, one of the reasons why that didn't work is because you did that because he asked you to do it. You weren't ready. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to know that they have to be ready. And sometimes that's when you hit the worst ever part in your life. Um, it would be really nice if you just came to that point before it was so horrible. That you just wanted to quit, but the the drugs have that way of controlling your mind, especially. Well, depending on the drug, but yeah. the drugs that make you feel better, make you feel happy, make you feel like you can do anything in the world. I am talking cocaine, meth, yeah. those type of drugs. Um, the, and this is you know hearing from not just family members that I have that have told me, like, I haven't seen, like, my my brother, I've never seen him high. When he <sighs> goes to do his drugs, he disappears for days at a time, and he will never, ever let anybody see him.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we, we see him afterwards, and that's when he goes home to sleep for days. Yeah. Um, and then he may be sober for a year, and then Uh, the tiniest thing and this is he has never ever gone through a program oh really okay Mm -hmm. he 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 tried one time for a day and he said this isn't for me and unfortunately couldn't talk him into trying another one and so he never stays sober yeah um the tiniest thing Well, to me, it seems tiny, maybe to him, it doesn't, but, um, just him taking a, something that somebody says wrong on a Facebook page, Hmm. he takes it personally, he'll go out and do drugs to make himself feel better. So it's the feel better drugs. And as you know, they might do that for a minute. Right. for an hour or for a day, but it doesn't last forever. You got to right. keep doing it. So um, that's the message that I want to get out to, mm-hmm. out to alcohol or drug abuse or addicts is that you really have to make that decision on your own and want it for it to work.
1: My mom, so my mom is a prayer warrior and she's my mom has never given up. My mom's a big reader. She reads a lot of books. And so when I was missing and in my active addiction, she found uh, Daryl Strawberry and Tracy Strawberry, Daryl Strawberry, the um, baseball player, he, um, severe drug addiction. So he's, Mm -hmm. you know, in recovery, been in recovery for a long time, him Mm -hmm. and his wife. My mom loved their books and was reading their books. So she would read them. And there was one, cause you we were talking about when you're done, when you, when you're done. Right. Or I remember mm-hmm. after, like, after my had to have my face reconstructed and all that, my mom, mm-hmm. I remember my mom saying, what is it going to take? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it going to take? And um, there's uh well, anyway, I went, went into a- active addiction again and I apparently, so she has this books at home. There's one called uh, don't give up on me. Mm-hmm. And she heard he was going to speak at the Billy Graham library, which is one of the most amazing places in the world, but Uh in Charlotte, right? Uh So she said, and I found this out later. I wound up seeing the pictures. My brother had this taking pictures of this. She went there with this book and I was missing. They didn't know where I was. And so there's pictures I'll, I'll have to send them to you, but there's pictures of he, he looked, my mom told him, she said like my daughter, but I think she basically said like my daughter's missing. I'm not sure, you know, I don't know whatever. And so my mom said that he looked at her and he said, Don't you ever, don't you ever give up on your daughter? Because nobody gave up on me. Don't ever give up on her. He says, It takes what it takes. Sometimes it takes what it takes. And that, you know, they say if you get to the end of the end of your rope, tie a knot. When you get to the when you reach rock bottom, quit digging. Um, but uh, you know, and then I saw something, it was another thing I'm gonna put on a shirt, but it said, um, rock bottom became the solid foundation upon which I rebuilt my life.
0: I love that.
1: So yeah, I'm going to put it on a shirt. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to on my website. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought that was amazing because it's, it. but it is, it takes what it takes. Some people are what they call one chip wonder, meaning they went to their first meeting, they picked up a chip, they've been sober ever since. Mm-hmm. I always thought they were an urban legend. I know somebody who is one, but you know, it's like a myth. Relapse is a part of recovery. And that the one thing, which I did just make a shirt, <laughs> not to talk about shirts, but it said, do not be defined by your relapses. Be defined by your commitment to recovery. Nice. So that's what defines you. It's um, relapse is a part of recovery most of the time. It doesn't have to be, but it usually is. And so you just weren't done yet. You know, God wasn't done with, with, re, you know, putting you through the fire, I guess. But. Right.
0: So there's one last thing that I want to ask you. And, and that's, that's, I'm going to name some behaviors. Okay. And I, or some, uh, not really reasons, um, just they can be disorders, whatever, but which ones that you would identify with that would be a reason that you went into drugs, alcohol, relapse, whatever. Okay. So, okay. Um, and then you can just, you don't pick one, you just pick every one that relates to you. Okay. So.
1: Okay. So just say like, yes, when you list one say yes, that would cause me to relapse or no.
0: Yeah. Just say yes or no. Okay. This, this is one of yours. So Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. Um, So depression. Yes. Lack of self-love. Yes. Fear of abandonment. Yes, for sure. Um, self-empowerment.
1: Self-empowerment. So like, well, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, only because sometimes when I'm feeling really good about myself, I'm overconfident and I, overconfident. I re- yeah, I let my guard down and I relapse. So I'm going to say yes.
0: Okay. I had one more self-destruction yes yeah okay so there's there's actually 10 that I had written down okay but um that that I I like to try to ask people okay I just I just gave you five of them
1: okay
0: and congratulations
1: Thank you. Um,
0: you know, we, we really need to be honest. And that's what you were. Yes. Thank those you. are the things that I already saw. Mm-hmm. So I would have known had you not said yeah. yes to all of them. Yeah. Um, but it's it makes me feel good when somebody knows those things, mm-hmm. because it's important for you to know what can make you relapse yeah absolutely so so. Uh, so that you stay away from that or if you start feeling that way you call your sponsor or yeah i i prefer the people call their sponsor only because a lot of a lot of times your friends have a hard time telling you the truth
1: yeah and that's what sponsors for i mean you don't want me to call you in the middle of the night and when <laughs> and ask you what your opinion on my life no yeah, sponsors that's what I'm... they are there for that is what they're there for <laughs> Cause they're objective. They will tell you, they will call you out on your BS and yeah. they will tell you the hard, what you don't want to hear. And it's usually is you need to go back and do another fourth step and list your character yeah. defects or go yeah. back and do a 10th step. They'll tell you what you don't want to hear, but that's what they're there for.
0: So unfortunately for my kids, um, because I grew up all my life since the time I was born around addiction, addiction and recovery, um, I am one of those persons that tell you how it is. Yeah. And my kids, I will always tell them the truth, Mm -hmm. whether it hurts or not, but I will also always lift them up. So my daughter, I don't know why, because she knows that I'm always going to tell her the truth, but she's, she's, uh, so she was athletic, really athletic. So um, like 10 years of, acrobats and 10 years of tap and ballet 10 years of each of those and then she was a cheerleader she was a volleyball player and she was a track runner she did overachiever (laughs) she was just very athletic yeah very athletic um Mm -hmm. but so her body she had strong legs so you know and strong arms and then she had this tiny waist and she had a hard time finding jeans to fit her right Mm -hmm. because her legs were bigger because they were muscular. Yeah. There wasn't an an inch of fat on her. Yeah. But it, it was, you know, but you build muscle, especially when she was a runner. Yeah. You know, with, um, anyway, every, every time we went shopping for jeans, she, it was, it was horror. It was a horrible day, a horrible time each time because she cried, right. because she could not find jeans that fit. If they fit her legs, they were too big in the waist. Yeah. If they, if they fit her waist, they were too tight in the legs. Um, we did finally find a brand that fit her perfectly. And I'm going to put it out there for people, <laughs> but it's expensive. And yeah. this, was, this was over 20 years ago. Mm. Um, but it was lucky, lucky brand. Yeah. Lucky is a great brand, but they are expensive. Yeah. And they were expensive 20 years ago. She yeah, She had to spend $50 on a pair of jeans. Now those lucky, that lucky brand, which she still has to use is like $125. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But that's it. Anyway, when now, every time she like put something on, She'll, she'll ask me her opinion on how something looks and, you know, she has good taste. Um, I, you know, I tell her when she looks good, but I still get, well, you just have to say that. Cause you're my mom. Well, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never done that. So I think it's important for parents and for friends and all of us to be honest, as honest as we can um because you want that trust oh
1: so you're only as sick as your secrets so that's right what do you want to know
0: (laughs) and and how i answer that to her is first of all i don't have to tell you because i'm your mom that you look good if if, do you think i want my kids to look bad right yeah their kids to look bad yeah nobody yeah well nobody that i know anyway right want them to that would be kind of sick minded if you wanted your kids to look bad yeah but no i don't have to say that in fact i think it's my job to be honest to teach them to be honest so yeah i am one of those persons that you can call as a friend if you need help and i'm going to tell you the truth yeah i'm going to say it gently yeah but i'm still going to tell you the truth yeah but that's not that's not everybody. Not everybody mm. has that. You know, I grew up with the addiction everywhere. Yeah. And I grew up going to Al-Anon and knowing how not to enable. But, you know, I didn't know that at first. Right. You know, I, I had to go through a program myself to learn that. So that's the other thing. I don't even know if if um, Al-Anon is even out there anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. yeah, it is. Um, I was. I think I had mentioned. I, there's a really good movie. If anybody wants to know about how AA was fun was founded, or a little bit of the story, there's right. a movie called When Love Is Not Enough, and it's with Barry Pepper and Winona Ryder plays um, Lois Wilson, who's Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, plays his wife, and it's basically essentially it's it's you realize at the end it's basically the story of how Alanon was founded, but it was you know? it was Lois Wilson that 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 realize that the families are needing to heal just as much as the people that have the alcohol or drug addiction. It's called When Love Is Not Enough. It's a fantastic movie. Berry Pepper and Winona Ryder.
0: So I'm going to look it up real fast to see where we can tell people to watch it. Yes, at. it's great. And then we'll also put that in the description. Okay. Yes, that would be great. One...
1: It's, yeah, a lot of people, it's not a well known movie, and I don't know the reason. I actually watched it in rehab. They had us watch it. And, um,
0: do you know what it's rated? Uh, say again. Do you know what it's, what it's rated?
1: You know, it probably, I mean, it might be R, but it may be, I mean, there's no nudity in it, and there's really not even any swearing, I don't think. It's probably, it might even be PG 7, you know, whatever it's called, NC 17. Yeah, there's really, it's very clean, but there's just some rough moments of him being drunk. Um, but other than that, there's so no that the
0: Lois Wilson story. It, does it say when love is not enough? It does. But is that the okay? Lois yeah. Story? Yeah. Lois Wilson. Okay, so yeah. There's, also, there's also the book. Oh, a book. Okay. Okay. And so that's on Amazon. You can, okay. you can get in Kindle or hardcover. It's not cheap. Let me tell okay. you. Well, seriously, it's, it's 40 bucks for the book. Really That's expensive. Okay. Does it show a movie on there or DVD? I'm I'm getting to there. So okay. Google Play. Let me see here. Um, it's in Hallmark. Okay. But you can buy it to watch it for seven ninety
1: nine. Okay. It's well Let's worth it. it. really good.
0: Oh, I don't want to sign into Google. (laughs) I'm just trying to look at where else. Because a lot of times, movies like that. um, You might even be able to just look it up on YouTube. YouTube.
1: Yep. And it'll say if you want to rent it. Yeah, I bet you.
0: Yeah. YouTube is one of them. And then there's a remake that was done April 30th, 2020.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, that I have not seen. You can
0: stream that from SoundCloud.
1: Wow, a remake. Okay, I'm gonna have to look that up. That's interesting. Yeah, fantastic
0: story. So, and it's on Netflix.
1: Oh, cool. Okay, Netflix. Yes.
0: So there you go. Thank you. Make sure we put that in that. Yes, ma'am. If we could, so we went. I guess you recommend AA then totally.
1: Well, I, so AA or any, I recommend a 12-step program. The two main ones is for alcohol and drugs. You're going to find AA and NA. Now I will tell you, I'm in NA currently. NA, for best narcotics. Narcotics Anonymous, yes. Mm -hmm. And the, the main difference. So really there's a lot of people that regardless if it's drugs or alcohol, even if it's just drugs, there's a lot of people that are kind of AA purists and they will stick tr- with a traditional AA program. There's some nuances. It, I won't get into all of the details I probably wouldn't explain them right. But there are different books because um, there are some people that prefer when it's alcohol to talk strictly about alcohol. They don't want to introduce the talk about other drugs when they're talking about alcohol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there's some people who don't care one way or the other. But then they um, talk
0: about both of them, right?
1: Yeah. So there's some people, so you will find that typically at an AA meeting when you introduce yourself, they prefer that you introduce yourself as an alcoholic, not necessarily an addict. That's just, and it's not every meeting, but it's just, there's certain, AA has certain ways um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, but NA, and then I have no somebody that was an alcoholic that actually preferred NA, but it's the same. The the steps are the same. The steps the 12th, are the, same,
0: yeah. mm-hmm, the
1: The steps are the same. And in NA, alcohol is referred to just as any other drug. So we you know they do not think differently about alcohol in NA. Right. It's considered the same. Um, but yeah, a 12 step program, it, you know, and there is also celebrate recovery, celebrate recovery is very similar to that, but it takes, um, and it, and actually, I don't know if it's considered if they do eight steps, they might actually do it as eight. but they take,
0: is there a pro an actual program? Yes. It called?
1: It's called celebrate recovery. It's usually at a church and a lot of times it's Thursday nights, but they're all different times.
0: Celebrate um, recovery.
1: Celebrate recovery, a really good program. The The way that it's a little bit different is you're going to find AA and NA will refer to a higher power that you have to come to believe that a power, um, that a greater, you know, a power higher than yourself can restore you to sanity is one of the, um, one of the, one of the steps um so, some people um, don't like calling I, I, god a higher power that's why celebrate recovery right so i'm
0: going to read it to you so celebrate recovery is a christ-centered 12-step recovery program for anyone struggling with hurt pain or addiction of any kind
1: right and it, yeah and then and that and that encompasses all kinds of different um addictions or needing to recover recover from something right. but they they what they do is they take the steps and they basically are using like different parts of the bible different bible verses kind of basing it on biblical principles, it's very, very similar, but it's going to be more Christ-centered than just calling it a higher power. Some people have a problem calling it just this random higher power. So it just depends on where spiritual spiritual position you're coming from.
0: Right. Uh, actually, because I used Google for that, yeah, it shows me three places close to me. Oh,
1: cool. <laughs> you, need, you might need to go for your chocolate addiction. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh. I get laughed at about that. And I'm like, it's a real thing. But it is I promise. A real thing, especially <laughs> yeah. like we have high cholesterol in our family. Yeah, and that you know, just sugar. And yeah. sugar, sugar can be a huge addiction. I think
1: it's in the DSM, DSM five, or whatever they call it. What is yeah. it called? The D- Yeah. Anyway,
0: um, but when I'm, it's when it's addiction for me is when I'm using it to cover up something or or help yeah. the way I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. you know because it's it's so I prefer prefer to find a movie that makes me cry well
1: then you need to go see love when love is not enough (laughs) well I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it tonight. it's amazing yes you are yeah I'll watch the call tonight then
0: okay okay you do that um because that that's really good really good um and of course you'll like Hallie Baird but um yeah my, my sugar. They make fun of me when I say, I, so my addiction is this. Addiction is addiction. It, that's right. You no, know, yeah. I'm sorry, but it, if I have to grab chocolate every every time i'm I'm upset, that is damaging yeah. to my body. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, my, my my like husband and my kids, don't really get that they they like think it's funny to bring me home chocolate chip cookies and put them <laughs> in and I'm like really seriously don't because I will eat them i yeah. just will and i don't want to if you
1: get a get a good organic chocolate that's not high in sugar is actually really good for you you know the polyfunnels and things and like i said i can get into that another day maybe we can talk about keto but um chocolate actually is really good for you when it is a good organic chocolate without sugar and a bunch of and excess dark chocolate. in there
0: yes darker and the better and I know mm-hmm. that. And I got off of it for a very long time by doing dark chocolate because it yeah. didn't taste good to me. You yeah, you crowded, yeah. Um, yeah. So no, so I but I that with it not tasting good to me, that's what I used anyway because I wouldn't overdo it because I right. really like it, yeah. but it still took still took away that feeling.
1: Yeah. Well it'll um, like yeah. It'll, yeah, the, the actual Yeah. It'll light up that part of your brain. The actual child, the the pure cacao part of it will light up that sensor in your brain. It's, it's kind of like the love hormone, almost like an oxytocin, but anyway, but we can talk about keto another day because keto helps me stay sober.
0: Yeah. I I do want to do that. And okay. So why don't you tell everybody if they want to find you on any kind of social media?
1: Yep. Um so I've, I've been doing a lot on TikTok um which I'll put you can put a link I guess in there. Um it's sobriety is my TikTok handle gen.inspiringsobriety. Um I've been doing a lot on TikTok but um I do have a website. It's um it's a blog and a website. So I have a daily recovery blog where I talk about different things everything from what is a 12 step meeting for beginners to um more in-depth things like I talk about drug dreams I did an article about drug dreams and drinking dreams why we have them what what's the mean. website called sorry it's in uh it's inspiring sobriety.com inspiring sobriety.com there's um so the blog but there's also um I I design all of my own uh like recovery themed apparel like so that um Hats, coffee mugs, gifts, sobriety jewelry. Like if you have somebody that has a one year sobriety coming up, like crosses engraved, like all kinds of personalized stuff. So that's all on there as well. Yeah, Yeah. and then I'm going to have a section that's going to talk about more of the like getting help. Like it's a, it'll be a resource center for. Uh, you know, hotlines and Oxford house, all the different resources that's in progress. But um, so there'll be three parts. It'll be the philanthropy or, you know, charitable part, the Mm -hmm. um, daily recovery blog, as well as then I got the merchandise. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So some of it's funny, some of it's motivational, but
0: inspiring sobriety.com. Okay. Got that. And then do you want anybody to reach out to you on Instagram or yes. Facebook? Yes, absolutely. And
1: my, and my email, the email that's easiest to reach me to if somebody wants to email is inspiring, inspiring sobriety at gmail.com. Okay. Um, now on the store contact page, there is like a, a direct, uh, cause I do personalization for people if they want a certain like shirt personalized, but they can message me directly from the contact page. It comes into my email, but inspiring sobriety at gmail.com is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have, same thing. Facebook is inspiring sobriety. Facebook page, and then Instagram. Instagram, it actually is inspiring sobriety thirteen because somebody had inspiring sobriety, so I added my lucky number thirteen after it. So, but so I can send you the
0: sobriety thirteen.
1: Yeah, and I can send you the links for all these if you need to put them somewhere. But yeah, please reach out to me. Um, my stories on there. You'll actually see there. My story is on TikTok. Um, it's up to about seven thousand views now. I put it out about two days ago. Um, it has pictures of me after I had my face reconstructed. So it's, it's, you know, it's I'll very to short
0: that tonight too.
1: Yeah. It's very short, but it's, um, it was just an inspirational thing to say, you know, this was me before this is me today. Um, it's only, it's only, it's like less than a minute long, but there is a, there is a picture of, of after they stitched my eye back into my head. It's just, and it's meant to just, it's meant to be a little bit shocking so that it, people will, will, will think about it and reach out to others how serious and this stuff is. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
0: <clears throat> All right. And then we talked a little bit about that. We we're, were thinking about going live once a week on TikTok. Yes. Like a TikTok and podcast with you. So not a TikTok podcast.
1: I'm sorry, TikTok live. Sorry.
0: So it'll be a live. <laughs> I like to talk. Thinking it could be, I know. I'm thinking that it could be like people could come on and we could talk, you know, they can ask a question about addiction or where they can go for help and that kind of yes, stuff. So that would be great. So um, like we that. need to come up with that. So that's that in the awesome. making. So everybody knows. Cool. Um, and Exciting. Yeah. So thank you mu- so much for coming on and for sharing thank your story
1: you. You're amazing. for
0: giving inspiration out there for so many people.
1: Thank you. Thank you for what you do, because there's uh sobriety and recovery is just one of them. I mean, there's so many other things, and you take so much time. Like, I'm really just amazed at how much time you, de- you dedicate to the to even just us getting to this point and being able to do it. Of like if people saw what we went through just to get to this point, you're you are a soldier.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have reason to be. <laughs> yeah. God is great.
1: God is great. That's right. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yep. Thank
0: you. Okay. Well, you have a good evening and Thank I'll you. probably get this edited, not, I'll probably won't even start till tomorrow. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, you have so a good night. much. Watch that. We movie. do recover. Thank All you. Right. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.